Deja Vu. That sensation that this has happened before. Episode 2. There is unrest on Monday night. Several hundred professional wrestlers have declared their intentions to leave the WWF. This separatist movement, under the leadership of the mysterious Eric Bischoff, has made it difficult for the limited number of WWF superstars to maintain sports and entertainment on Monday nights. Hulk Hogan's plummeting hairline is returning to the Mall of America to vote on the critical issue of creating a new wrestling mega show to assist the overwhelming, the overwhelmed wrestling universe. Begun, the Monday Night Wars has. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, it's WCW, the premiere of Monday Nitro, this week on Nothing Good. Well played, sir. Well played. Very nice. Excellent uh, intro. Very nice. Better than the first time I heard so it. So good, we had to do it again. <laughs> yeah. I debated uh, not using the Nothing Good theme music and just playing the Star Wars intro after that. <laughs> <laughs> like reading the scroll. Nice Welcome work. to nice another work. episode. Uh, I'm really excited uh, kind of to talk about this. Uh, this is the first time we've done a, an, um, uh, a, net, a TV episode, not like a pay-per-view, I'm pretty Correct. sure. Yeah. Which is kind of a big deal for us. Uh, which also ideally makes the episode a little shorter than our typical wrestling episode. Would you count the 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 2010s Monday Night War as being possibly covering an episode and not a pay per view? We talked about that was. I mean, that kind of stands out on its own. Okay, but good point. Good point. But this is our our very first time covering one specific show. TV yeah. show. Yeah, uh, which is really cool. Um, first things first. Let's get it out of the way. The fuck are you guys drinking? Well, you know, oh, we're... never mind. I see. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm drinking a premium malt beverage with natural flavors, uh, and I believe those natural flavors are are piss water and uh, existential dread. That is Turner's with Iron a splash City of lemon. with a splash of lemon. Uh, I'm drinking a an Iron City beer, Turner's iced tea. Now. Ladies and gentlemen, we we I have drank this beer earlier uh, this season in in the show, and as we know, we're we're getting later into September. Uh, Billy Joel Armstrong is still asleep, you know. Still don't wake sleeping. him. Still sleeping. Uh, or Billy Joel is like to keep calling him to just annoy Stephanie. Um, she'll never listen to this, so it doesn't matter. But I posted all over her Facebook wall too. But um, you know, when you come to end of summer. And you start transitioning from the summer beers to the fall and winter beers, which are, as we can say, they're very different beers, right? You got those few just ones that are hanging on. You know, those couple of beers from the case you haven't finished yet. And uh, that's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm putting my head down. I'm finishing what I started. And I am plowing through this turner's iron city beer like it's 2 30 in the morning on the south side and i'm out of options sounds like you're forcing yourself yeah no that was dave's uh that's the way that dave sold it the way i would sell it is dave doesn't bring beer to our shows and i have to provide it to him so he gets whatever in the back of the fridge 
and that thing's been back there a couple months. So I was going to play it off like, it was, like I brought it from my personal stash. <laughs> <laughs> the cat's I, out of the bag it's now. Actually, it's actually what I didn't mean to bring this morning. I kind of I kind of forgot. As I was, yeah, see, so it worked out. Yeah, it worked out. I was I was trying to before we recorded. I I was going to. I don't trust myself necessarily going off the hip when I'm doing the intros. Um, Noah is much better at that than than I am in terms of like improving that so much. So I had it. I had the actual scroll from episode two, and I worked it a couple of times where I was switching the words in and out and everything. And I just didn't trust myself once we hit record, even though we could just fucking go back and do it all over again, which we did several times in this one. Um, but I had to write it down. So I'm like writing it down before I got here and I forgot to grab my beer. So um, I'm not going to say fuck you, Jeff, because you were kind enough to provide me with beer. <laughs> and uh, I do appreciate, you know, drinking your sloppy seconds and filthy thirds. No problem. I've been trying to get rid of it. So it's all yours. Yep. Hold on. Wait, 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 wait. Oh. I'm sorry. That's the worst sound. <laughs> this is not ASMR, folks. Uh, for me, for me, I'm not drinking that. Oh god, uh, it's even worse. I bet it is. <laughs> <laughs> like, would you like one of my beers, Dave? <laughs> I might have to. Here, you know, I remember like we described this beer to you, ladies We've and gentlemen. We've talked about it. A few We've times talked this about summer, it. Yeah, but like you have. It's an experience. There, yeah. There's there's an aftertaste that can only be described as as um as just pain and sadness. Uh, mm, what do we got here? Got some good ones. Uh, Bend Oregon or Mutant? Oh fuck! <laughs> Mutant IPA. I gotta go with that one. I have. A, I figured you chick uh, chose that. Choose yeah. that one. There you go. Oh, man, I bring is... extras. <clears throat> hey, just in case. Listen, this is called Redemption Beer. it's good i haven't tried oh. that one so dave what are you drinking what are you officially drinking oh my god it's so much better <laughs> um this is a mutant ipa from oscar blues brewery there we go what's yep. uh what's the percentage on that bad boy um anything is better than what i just had 7.0 oh okay Ooh, well you're drinking right. i'm drinking <laughs> yeah you drinking you get, son. you're getting the day going Oof. yeah uh, I am also drinking an IPA. I was at a uh, beer fest recently called Barrel and Flow. Shout out to Barrel and Flow. Uh, rated by USA Today as the top beer fest in the country. No shit. Uh, and they live up to the hype. Uh, so they have a bunch of collaboration beers. And on our way out, we grabbed several cans to go. So this is one of the ones that I grabbed. Was that before or during the typhoon that came in at that point in time? Uh, it was before. So it got shut down early because of the typhoon that came through. It was supposed to go till 9 p.m. We had early admission. It started at 3. Uh, the storm came through at like 7.30. And I was pretty tuned up at that point. If I would have gone and continued to drink until 9 p.m., I would have blacked out. I'm, I'm almost oh, certain. Oh, shit. The, the, <laughs> All right. So, we were going pretty hard that so, day. And just so you know, listeners, too, the, the storm was so bad that I actually texted Jeff like, because he knew I was outside. Because I knew he was outside, fast. it was coming. And I just want to make sure he was okay. That's friendship. Though. Because it was like when you look at the Doppler radar, like on the map, there's like those colors that like clearly don't belong on the spectrum. Yeah. It's like green, then yellow, then red, and then there's just purple. And you just fucking like fuchsia. Pur- yeah, the fuchsia was where Jeff was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was it was pretty dicey there, but 
Well, because you didn't, didn't drive. Right. I mean, because as a responsible beer no, fest we, we attender, Uber to beer you Ubered. Fest, yes. And, you know, they're not going to get enough Ubers down there in time to get everybody out of there. So, yeah. you know, I'm. Yeah, and there was like an evacuation plan. There was a parking garage across and when it started coming down pretty heavy they just shifted everybody over into that's the what there garage. you go i had this image of you holding onto some barrel <laughs> that was just full of water that they're clearly using to hold down the tent yeah, all the tents are blown but, away but the tent was like... gone it was just jeff just fucking holding on like helen hunt at the end of twister yeah yeah it wasn't quite that bad uh so i grabbed some cans on the way out uh because there there was a lot of beer left over so this particular one uh was a collaboration between stickman brewing and two locals brewing. It's called uh, Hoagie and Peanut Go to Town, uh, which is a hazy IPA. I assume Hoagie and Peanut are two uh, dogs, one from each brewery, because that's what's on the label. So, so uh, before we hit record, uh, Jeff had busted out the beer, and I'm sitting there, and I'm looking at the can, and I look at the side of the can, and I go, oh, the first thing I see is just Hoagie and Peanut. Now, I've known Jeff for a long time. And I know that he likes his beer. And I do know that he likes to experiment with his alcoholic beverages. So I'm thinking to myself, this motherfucker's not trying to drink beer that tastes like fucking hoagie and peanuts, is he? <laughs> and, but it was plausible to me. Yes. <laughs> uh, I've had some weird beers. Yeah. Not that weird, but I could see where that and I feel like from. if anybody yeah. ever comes to you with a hoagie beer, you step away slowly. You, you try. Don't... You gotta try. No, you no. gotta try. I'll try just try. about anything. Have you ever had a hoagie dip? You ever heard of Hoagie no. Dip before? I've had an oyster beer, which Sounds is like the, worst, the worst beer I've ever had. It was chunky. There were like chunks of oysters in it. Oh, fuck no. Uh, it was terrible, but I tried it. This Iron City beer has chunks of something in it. It just might be river water. Chunks of yins uh, are in it. Yeah. Well, it is it's, football it's, season, so the chunks are getting everywhere. It's made of the same stuff that was in that toxic waste <laughs> thing that dude drove into in RoboCop last week. Is that why when I cracked the beer open, it went... <laughs> Yo, whip you over your can. It just says, help me. Like, you know, I, I'm just going to put, I'm just pour one out for my I, homies there. I'm not going to drink that. Yeah. I, if, that's like, if, that, yep. if that happens, I'm putting the beer down. I'm grabbing my coat. I'm walking out the door. Yeah, there's some weird shit You're going never on coming I'm not coming back. Yeah. This Game house over. is good. Oh, my God. Doc, what are you drinking? Uh, fuck, I don't remember now uh, after all that shit. I'm drinking a Sweetwater Brewing Triple Tail. It's a tropical India uh, pale ale. Uh, tropical India pale ale. Say that three times fast. Um, you it's thought, okay. You thought about it. Is didn't it tropical? You? I mean, honestly, I'm, I expected something more. More tropical. I expected something a little fruitier. You know, like a little bit more flavor. But I refuse to make that sound uh, for the respect of the listeners. <laughs> And my own dignity. I will never, that's the only time it. I've ever done that in 78 episodes. 78. I'm never doing that. I thought you were going to say in 70 years. And I was <laughs> going to have, have a whole other conversation with uh, you, Logan, about your. Uh, I'll have no teeth and it'll be, I'll be mute, slipping like that all about the time. my mutant beer that I'm having. Um, yeah. But it's not, it's not like it's bad. It's just I expected a tropical flavor. And uh, quite frankly, uh, Streetwater, you disappoint me. Dang. Damn. Shots fired. Yeah. So I got a question for you guys before we start kind of delving into topics. Because you know me, I always like to kind of start very broad here till we work our way into the... Plus, this is a shorter episode. It's <laughs> called of... foreplay, baby. There it is, right? <laughs> I like to go around the edge of the nipples before I go into before the middle. Before you start chewing. Before I start chewing, right? Yep, yep. Smart. Get that sweet sax playing in the background, man. You can't resist. Gotta have a um, silhouette. 
Yeah. So it's as, getting real weird, but I'm 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 into it. Robocop had a silhouette in his in the movie. There's a Robocop silhouette in there too. Just no the, sacks. Metal, the metal nipples were not being chewed. They were not. No. They may have been grinded. <laughs> Could you imagine seeing fucking Lewis like her idea of foreplay is not chewing on the nipples, but she's got a fucking metal grinder and she's just, just sparks. She's just sparking. Yeah, yeah on, I could see that. Yeah, I could see that too. That fucking you really don't like Lewis. I don't. You have like a real issue. There's a lot no, of she's a good a terrible. Way. She's a terrible partner. There are things I've learned with this show, uh, with some of my closest friends that I've learned about them. With Dave specifically, Mac, I've learned <laughs> he has a real problem with Bostonians and their race, racial prejudice. It's true. I've learned that like it's, big time. It's true. And I've also learned that he has a real issue with uh, 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 Officer Lewis. From a Robocop. <laughs> She's as useless as a vagina right here. He's pointing to his elbow. It is my elbow. I mean, how far can you... You can't. Maybe you can't, son. <laughs> as I started doing it, I realized what I was setting myself up for. And I'm like trying to like try to go, and Jones is like, yeah. Like, that sounds like a Mac problem. You need to hit the gym, bro. I don't think that's a muscle I can flex necessarily in terms of. Could you imagine just me being at the bench at the gym, just like with my arms back, but you still see a fucking arm curl going on? What are you doing, Dave? It's elbow day. You know, every 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 couple months, whether it's uh, my wife, who on occasion does listen to the show, on occasion, or another listener, who just in, in, in you know talking will say, you know, you should just do video recording. You should. I would watch that on YouTube, and I go, that's a lot of effort. And then, then I have to look presentable, like somewhat more than I normally do. You know, I don't, I don't want to. But we're, we're for moments like that, we're gonna do it one of these days. For moments like I'm that, just gonna mount the camera over here. The I, listen, and, and let's be fair. If we were recording this, like actual video recording, Noah would ham it up way more than he already. Yeah, does. he'd just make heavy eye contact with the camera the whole he time. He would do <laughs> some very distracting. Shit be very distracting. Yeah. And, and I don't know if I'm ready for that. And he does it without the cameras being exactly. turned on anyway. Imagine that's what, what I mean. he has yeah, to do to ham it up even that's, more. That's very true. Yeah. Um, but um, oh fuck! Now I kind of lost my <laughs> kind of lost my train of thought of what I was gonna what I was gonna mention there. Oh, well, if it comes back to me, we'll, we'll we'll circle back. Oh no, I got it. So I'm drinking Mutant IPA. Yeah, and, and it's Mutant X, right? Yeah, I saw okay, the can. There, there's I want the X, that. right? So here's my question for you guys. Which mutant would have the, would brew their own beer? What? Scott Summers, motherfucker. Which mutant? <laughs> He's hundred percent that own guy. Beer? He would brew his own fucking beer, he and would, he'd be really good at. He it. would just make like the most basic beer. <laughs> no, I maintain that so- Scott Summers would make some serious shit because. He's fucking Scott. Well, Summers. he's also committed. Yeah, he would. He's, he would he believe anything. No, he believes. Sh- you know, shout out to fucking s- s- to Slim because he doesn't get the play he deserves. Scott Summers would hundred percent be a brew fucking master in the X House. I, you know what you I think so. I do. Yeah, I do. 100%. I do agree with you in terms of how Scott Summers just does not get his. He's he never gets his due because he's a bad motherfucker. He's actually. a bad he's motherfucker. Gen- he's actually an, he's a badass. Actually, yeah. But, you know, the Fox movies would have you believe otherwise. Right. Right. Jeff? I, I, I think Beast would do it better. Oh, he would do okay. it great. I feel like uh, he would distill his shit. I think he would lean heavy into, like, the science part of making beer. Uh, and he he's a perfectionist. So I, I think you'd get something that's a little cleaner. Whereas 
Scott would probably be a little more experimental, I think. I would go with that. Yeah. I would go with that. We all know Wolverine ain't brewing shit, but he'll drink the fuck yeah. out of it. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> he'll drink yeah. the fuck out of it. Yeah. How about uh, you? Um, I think Gambit. See, I don't see him brewing beer. I see, feel like that, that's he'd be moonshine first. He'd be moonshining it up. But that's what I was thinking. Yeah, he's he's more of a spirits guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah it kind of makes, I guess, makes yeah. sense. Yeah. But I could I could see him, you know, like having his own speakeasy where he's just serving all of his own stuff while playing poker and everything. So it's kind of I could dig that. Yeah. I can dig that. That's a real weird sidebar. Well, when you gave me Mutant XIP, that was the first thing I thought about. I was like, because look, he's got fucking, he's shooting lasers out of his eyes. So he's, he's, he's a already cyclops. true mutant. This. He's got his arms down. He's dragging them like fucking Neanderthal knuckles. I mean, like so it's beast. a little bit like Beast. There's yeah. a lot of shit going on. He's got horns like nobody in the X-Men universe. Thank God. Well, that's a weird mutation that nobody would have. Why would somebody not have like antlers or horns I mean, like they that? do technically exist. Like Marrow doesn't have antlers on her head. But she has bony protrusions. Yeah. So that's technically close. Uh, I'm sure there are a lot of I'm sure I'm sure there are a lot of over the years like background mutants who just look fucking different, don't have any actual abilities. Like I could see somebody having yeah. like a whole fucking ram head. That'd be kind of interesting. I'm sure it exists. I'm sure it does. I'm sure I almost guarantee you it exists. Yeah. Um. So this is an Anyways. X-Men episode. We can we yeah. can, we can go down <laughs> this rabbit hole if you want. Uh, I mean, we not spoke- talk about the very first Nitro. <laughs> goddamn it. But um. It's been a it's been a, a sad uh, since the last time we recorded everybody. It's been a, a very unfortunate time to be a wrestling fan uh, because we've lost some uh, we've lost some heavy hitters. Couple big losses. We've lost some big yeah. losses. Um, you know the the legend, the Hall of Famer, the hardcore king, Terry Funk. Hmm. You know what year he started wrestling? I'm gonna put this in perspective for you guys. Was it? So I just saw Oppenheimer, so I figured like the reason that he did what he did was because of nuclear, you know, fallout. Because that's the only way that a man like that could sustain what he's done. So nineteen fifty eight. Jesus. Uh no, he started wrestling in nineteen sixty fucking five. I'm not that far off. So I want you to put that's the a perspective. Long time ago. In nineteen sixty five, yeah. Terry fucking Funk started his professional wrestling career. He proceeded to wrestle for decades. At a high level, actually. Yeah. Terry Funk, and, and and I am not pretending like I was aware of this up until like maybe like the last like 10, 15 years, I wasn't. Um, <clears throat> Terry Funk had a completely different fucking career before we got to know him. Like, I knew Terry Funk a little bit before Chainsaw Charlotte, before ECW. I knew him from WCW, but I didn't watch a lot of WCW, as we've established. So, like, I knew of Terry Funk. I mostly knew of Terry Funk. From, like, the after mags, the wrestling magazines that I'd always yeah. have my parents buy. Like, the bloody pictures of him and Cactus Jack in the deathmatch tournament. Which was only one that everybody still talks about to this day. It only happened once. But it's, like, the one of the most, like, iconic visuals of Cactus Jack bloody holding the fucking trophy. With a, a battered and bruised Terry Funk. But Terry Funk had, was NWA heavyweight champion. And I want to say, like early 70s like which is a back then for those of you who are unaware being the nwa world's heavyweight champion was the biggest deal in wrestling it was no i mean there was like the wwf uh and but they're they were a regional territory yeah they weren't big promos nwa was wrestling and if you were world's heavyweight champion if you were the world's heavyweight champion you actually defended it around the world you went to various promotions that had uh, affiliations with the NWA, 
whether it was somewhere in the United States, Deep South, somewhere West Coast, or in fucking Japan, or somewhere in Germany, it didn't matter. You were the you were the fighting champion. You represented the entire promotion, which is so cool. We don't get that anymore. That's gone. That's never going to be a thing ever again. Obviously, um, but Terry Funk had a very different career. Uh, matter of actually, he was heavyweight champion. He was dating a girl. I can't remember her name now, but. She didn't like that he was gone. She didn't like that he was traveling so much. So he fucking said, I don't want to be heavyweight champion anymore. And went and married this woman. And they stayed married for however 40, 50 fucking years until she died. Love. Terry Funk is that guy. He said, fame and fortune, love of my life. Well, that's an easy fucking pick. Um, he took some time off, came back, you know, had this amazing career in Japan as a fucking white meat baby face, if you can imagine this. The Terry Funk, <laughs> that is not the Terry yeah. Funk that we know. Yeah, not he the was heel the, Terry Funk that everyone there knows are and fucking, loves. Yeah. And it's unfortunate that he wrestled in a time where there was not a lot of footage. It's just a lot of stuff that was written down. Some matches were recorded, but a lot of just was over-recorded the next week. That sort of situation. But yeah. he was the hard-on-your-sleeve your white meat Johnson, a baby face. Never say die. Never fucking quit. Can you imagine that guy being Terry Funk? Because I fucking can't. He retired the first time in... Fuck. Like 19... Like 1970-something or other. Like, or 80... 80... 81? Or 1980, he retired the first time. Um, he had this really... Which you should look up on YouTube. This really iconic promo. Where he retired in Japan to a fucking sold-out fucking show. And he just... It was it was fantastic. It was so iconic. He it, There's, like, a point... Like, people... You might hear some wrestling fans talk about where he's... Like, someone screams, FOREVER! Like, he just kept saying forever over and over again. And the crowd was so into it because they believed in Terry Funk. It's like John Cena retiring on top. It's what it was like. It was so iconic that it's, it's noted that Eddie fucking Murphy, back in the day, would go around movie sets screaming, FOREVER! Because of Terry Funk's promo. Because it was that fucking badass. Right? Terry Funk quits. He goes into movies. He can't stay out of wrestling that long. And this motherfucker, who's a white meat baby face, who's a never say die, who won't quit, comes back and challenge. And Ric Flair had just had, by like 1989, a, some of the best matches uh, in wrestling history. A trilogy of matches with Ricky Steamboat and WCW. By 1989, we're talking WrestleMania 5. We're talking Mega Powers. Wrestling's hot, man. We're talking Saturday Night, Saturday Night Main Event. WCW's doing its thing. WWF's doing its thing. Terry Funk comes back to WCW and challenges Ric Flair. Uh, there's a really cool... Uh, again, all the stuff's on YouTube. Please look up this shit because it's fantastic. Terry Funk at his fucking best. So Terry Funk's one of the judges for this match with Ricky Steamboat and Ric Flair. Ric Flair wins. Spoiler alert. Great fucking match. I think it was the Chi-Town Brawl. That's what they called it. And <clears throat> Jim Ross, young Jim Ross, in the ring with Ric Flair, who's now the heavyweight champion, and Terry Funk. And Terry Funk's like, hey, you know, Rick, man, great job. Oh, great job, Rick. You know, that, that Terry Funk voice, you know, real fucking mellow. Like, oh, maybe I should challenge for that, right? Maybe I, maybe I should be the guy who challenges for that. And Rick's like, you know, Terry, look, there's a whole committee... You're not in the top 10. You were out in Hollywood. You're out with Stallone and, and all these guys. You're not in the top 10. And Terry's like, hey, hey, I was just I was just joking around, man. I'm, hey, let, let's shake on it. And just fucking clocks it. <laughs> and proceeds to brutalize Ric Flair after one of the most grueling matches he's ever had. 
on national fucking television. Powell drives him on a fucking table, which in 1989, they weren't doing on national TV, right? Terry Funk was on that shit. He went from this fantastic babyface to a fucking dastardly heel and just starts hunting Ric Flair, who's usually the fucking heel, but now the tables have turned and he just goes buck wild, right? Terry Funk then transitions again, right? He plays that shit out and comes to ECW to legitimize the entire promotion because before Terry Funk, it was uh, Shane Douglas, it was Scott Levy, Raven, it was a bunch of, you know, you got your, your Chris Jericho's, who was he? Eddie Grow, who's he? Chris Benoit, well, who's he? You know, a lot of like implants from w, or transplants from other promotions, but Terry fucking Funk, a actual legend by this point, by like 1994, an actual fucking legend, redefines himself again and becomes the hardcore legend. This is all in the midst of his travels to Japan with the deathmatch tournaments with Cactus Jack and a bunch of other Japanese legends. He then transitions again from being like the, uh, the ECW hardcore legend to being Chainsaw Charlie, being part of the WWF machine. The point I'm making is Terry Funk could possibly be the greatest wrestler of all time because I can't tell you, I can't think of a single fucking wrestler ever who's been able to redefine himself multiple times successfully, have such a long career, give so much to so many other wrestlers that he didn't even fucking have to at all. By the time, look, he, it's not like he was making a lot of money at DCW. He did it because he wanted to do it. Like, that's amazing yeah. to me that he wanted to travel from Amarillo fucking Texas, which ain't easy to get to, all the way to fucking Philly for one or two nights for Paul Heyman because he knew Paulie. He trusted him. He did it because he loved wrestling. Terry Funk, for my money, uh, he's not my favorite wrestler of all time, but he is easily, if he's not in your top 10, realistically, of all-time greats, you don't watch wrestling. You don't appreciate it. That's where I'm at on him. Yeah, dude's a legend. I skipped a lot of shit, but... No, it's only a four-hour show. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, I don't always have the... I say this pretty much every time we talk on a wrestling show. I don't always have the quite the, the knowledge or the, you know, uh, of the lineage of, of wrestling. But, you know, I remember seeing Terry Funk on ECW. And that's really one of the first times that I ever... Um, was introduced to him, you know, because when you're watching Saturday morning superstars and everything like that, you're, you're not watching guys like Terry Funk. You're seeing Hogan, you're seeing giant, you're seeing ultimate warrior, you know, Yokozuna, you're getting those guys. And, um, you know, ECW was this just completely off the wall thing. Um, when I first started watching it, and just the the things they were doing and, you know, it just maybe that's where my love of tables, ladders, and chairs yeah, all yeah, came maybe. from. Um, but, you know, watching him do his thing and the stories he would tell and the type of matches he would have and everything, that guy was absolutely fucking crazy. Because, I mean, clearly he's an older guy at this point, too. And I'm like, why, are you, why would you even want to put yourself through this? Um, because that's just who he was and, uh, had a lot of respect for him, you know, obviously the time with, the um, different promotions as I started kind of get back into wrestling and learning more about it and everything. And, um, 
you know, in, in today's day and age, when you hear, we was, he was 79, is that right? Passed with 78, 79? Sounds about right. Yeah. Um, you know, you don't hear a lot of wrestlers getting to that age. And especially somebody who's been through what he's oh, been through. Should he put his body through? Absolutely. So, um, you know, hats off to uh, a legend, to a life well lived, and a, and a legacy uh, that uh, no one, no one, no one can touch. No, I mean, you know, what more could be said about a legend of of his ilk and of his, you know, skill set? If you look at the way he transitioned over the years and, you know, being, whether you're, you know, a part-time fan or a full-time fan of wrestling, regardless of the promotion, like everybody knows who Terry Funk is on some level. Yeah. 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 And and what he's contributed to wrestling as a, as a sport and as a profession and nothing but love and respect is what he had for wrestling. And I mean, he's earned every bit of that in his legend status somewhere upstairs. He's looking for his shoe that he got choke slammed out. Oh of, my God. But, yeah. Uh, nothing, nothing but love for Terry Funk, man. I, I, you know, and well said both of you guys, I maintain that. And you said Mac, like, you know, he's like a legend. You said he's a legend. And I think that fans, p- people are part of fandoms. Uh, we are all part of that, of various fandoms. Uh, we tend to, whether it's something fictional or even sports-related, we tend to very often use the word legend way too often. And way too Not easily. A, yeah. It's it's over-commercialized, yeah, yeah, yeah for I, sure. And I think that in in order for a legend status to exist, there has to be few of them, right? And I think that there are very, in terms of the context of this conversation... Yeah, I mean, the more there are, the less validity yeah. and credibility I think there are very few... Few few legends in professional wrestling right now, few, period period like realistically very few count on maybe two hand list maximum, and Terry fucking Funk is a goddamn legend, and I it sucks when for me as a fan, uh, and I am partially a lapsed fan sometimes, for me to only appreciate somebody towards the twilight of their career makes me angry a little bit about myself. Yeah, we're all guilty of that. And but like I, you go back like it's like we're. Back when we did, which I highly recommend if you if you're listening to this wrestling episode, you like wrestling on some level. Our dream feuds, please listen to that episode. It's fucking fantastic. Uh, you know, you go back and like stuff about Piper, like old Piper stuff was so on. He was on another level on his commitment to his character and what he would say in his promos. Terry Funk, like we're all around the same age. There's a ton of Terry Funk stuff that like we've just never watched or didn't have the opportunity or the ability yeah, to watch. Without a doubt. And like going back the last several years, and I just I just watched Terry Funk stuff, and like my appreciation for his heel shit, the stuff that he'd say, that's that was it was typical for Funk to cut a promo on somebody, and people guys the backstage like, is he like pissed at this guy? <laughs> like did he like he. Terry Funk was notorious for he would cross the line. He would say some shit about your family, about your wife, about your mom, your dad, your kids. Like he wanted you to get a reaction. He wanted the fans to like go, "This motherfucker's not." Is this playing. a work or a shoot? Yeah. Like what's like, happening? It's like yeah. a, it's like a uh, uh, if you ask any big wrestling fan uh, about like a Terry Funk quote, it's like, "Oh, your mother's a whore." He would yell that. That's always like a Terry Funkism. Like your mother's a whore. Gotta piss somebody off. You know, like, but he would say some shit. 
and in and, and like stuff that would really offend his opponent, you know, wrestling is predetermined. But if you say some shit, like, but that gets a reaction, you know, and he wanted that out of you. I think that's just a, such a fascinating approach compared to what wrestling is now, where it's so scripted and it's watered down and you can't say certain things. Terry Funk gave no shits and he would piss you right off. Yeah. And, and it's, it's crazy because, you know, that was part of his work ethic and that was just part of Terry Funk being Terry Funk. And if you look at recent interviews in his later years after he's fully retired and, you know, he's a senior citizen and he's, he doesn't look the same. He's, you know, smaller. He's very more like mild mannered and he is the most like genuine, like down to earth guy ever. And he's so humble about all of it because most of these guys, some of them do it for the accolades and for, you know, the spotlight but he did it because he fucking loved it. Yeah, you don't really hear... I don't I don't think anybody has a bad word ever to say about Terry Funk. Not that I know of. I, I, you know, even when they were... Because, you know, admittedly, a lot of the attention was was towards the next person we're going to talk about, um, who also tragically passed away here recently. Um, but, you know, when they were doing a lot of the eulogizing of, of Terry Funk, you know, a lot of people said he just... Everybody loved him. You know, whether you were... Didn't matter what kind type of wrestler you were or what you were in it for or anything, you know, Terry, nobody had a bad thing to say about him. He he didn't put himself over uh just for the sake of doing it over other people, you know, and uh you know, just a, 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 a as you said, a legendary contributor to to this thing we love so much. Um and that that brings me to another person who, you know, um completely original. Um, did things that other people just didn't think of doing. And, you know, I think still had a lot of great wrestling in him and had a lot of um, great storytelling to tell and was still painting his own picture. Unfortunately, we're not going to see that finished was uh, Bray Wyatt. Wyndham Rotunda. And, you know, I never knew that was his real, that his real name, his last name was Rotunda. Which which threw me for a loop when yeah. I when I heard that I was like yeah. that's not a real name it's very <laughs> real yeah. Rotunda like no but uh, you know we lost uh, we lost Bray Wyatt uh, now recently over with with WWE and everything we we saw him last in was it February I think right yeah, around he the time was, he was let go and then he came back he came back yeah, yeah. Uh, and then he was here he did a short feud with LA Knight and then he was gone for medical reasons yeah uh and you know bray wyatt is one of those true cases of you don't know what you got till it's gone uh for whether you liked bray wyatt and his uh array of characters you know over the years in wwe uh or not uh you can't look over the fact of just how creative and different and non-forgiving he was in terms of this is my creative vision and that's me and that's what i'm going to do uh and his in-ring capability is is unbound you know uh and it's it's unfortunate that it ended as short as it did for him he's what 36 36 37 yeah um and it, it was it was unfortunate that we didn't get to see sort of 
the next evolution or the next version of Bray Wyatt come to full fruition. You know, we, we saw a glimpse of it uh, as he was coming back and then medical reasons took him out and then unfortunately uh, did him in as of late. I'm of a thought that, so like uh, in wrestling, you have guys who uh, like, it's the idea of like, okay, you see them in the, in the, in the, in the airport, do they stand out? You know, how tall are they? What's their look? Uh, that's always important. What's the eight by ten like? Right, that's the Vince McMahonism. Like, what's the eight by ten? They set, you know, they stand out in the airport when fans are walking through the two in the morning. Uh, but the other aspect of being a successful professional wrestler <clears throat> is having it. Right, and what is it? Frick, no one can define what it is, but it is effectively Faith, no more you just, tried. You just know it when you see it. That's a good, good point. Uh, it is the ability to connect with the fans regardless. In my definition, that's how I always define what it is. And Bray Wyatt, uh, Wyndham Rotunda, uh, son of IRS, Mike Rotunda, um, he had it in spades. And even when he was Husky Harris in the NXT days, and you know, he, the Nexus, rather, Nexus days, you saw he had something, like... He, it's funny, he didn't get a lot of spotlight in the Nexus. He didn't. But I always, my eyes were always drawn to what he was doing. Yeah. Because he had a look. He had a look. He just had a fucking look. And it's one of those cases where second generation, they grow up in the business. It they te- they sometimes have that. They get it. They just get their, it. Their DNA. They is just get just, it. Is just for it. They understand it. Yeah. You know, they understand the hard camera. They understand the audience. They understand what they have to do. But more importantly. I don't know in the last 15 years if there's been better TV than the Wyatt family. Like, really? Like, there's great storylines, but, like, their whole concept was so interesting and so intriguing. And as a lapsed fan, I was very interested in the the Wyatt family. Fuck Sister Abigail and all that. No, just Bray fucking Wyatt. Like, their feud with the S.H.I.E.L.D. was fucking great. Yeah, it was. We can't recreate things like that. Nope. Right? Um, I'm a big fan of Bray Wyatt. I was very excited when he came back. Uh, and it was different. But I think with the 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 brilliance of uh, of Wyndham, uh, I think he they needed more control over what he was doing uh, to a point. I feel like... The Firefly Funhouse, and that was fucking weird, man. Like that was so fucking weird. That was a little too much trust. A little too much <laughs> trust, honestly. But you could clearly see that man should have been in film. He should have been creating. He should have been directing. He should have been writing. He had no business in wrestling, in in a sense that his create his creative mind deserved a bigger platform, in my opinion. Yeah, and actually, if you look at, you know, when you could when they couldn't have fans during COVID, and it gave them the opportunity to do the flyer. Firefly Funhouse match with just, him and John Cena. Just the, be more theatrical. Like, the way that he sort of envisioned it, mm-hmm. like a, from a, from a film standpoint, like that was a perfect opportunity for him to showcase that. And I think everybody saw it. I mean, there's there's no denying uh, his creative capabilities there. You know, one of the things that I look at at, at Bray Wyatt. Um, and, and, you know, you talk about Jones, how, you know, certain 
athletes have it. Yeah. You know, that that thing that if you know, if you know it, you see it, you recognize it. And if you don't know it, you'll never see it. You'll never recognize it. That that, that makes you an outsider versus maybe somebody who's more of an insider, right? Mm-hmm. And I would look at you, Jones, as an insider. You know, you 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 have experienced wrestling based on your, you know, your participation in it. You know, you've been involved, you've done it. And it doesn't matter what level. You've you've done it, right? You 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 know more about the the building blocks of it than than most people. Yeah, you can, you yeah. can kind of see it that way, right? Yeah. No no is the same way. Yeah. You know, I mean, I I will never sit here and try to pretend that I know wrestling the way that you guys do. I just I just like to be in the room having the conversation. But what I look at is, you know, a performer's ability to elevate those around him. And it doesn't necessarily have to be the people that you're wrestling against, but it could be the people that you're wrestling with. And, you know, with the Wyatt family, you know, Bray Wyatt was able to bring, um, you know, those guys along with him to stardom. You know, and, and, you know, Brody, to an extent, when he got to, to AEW, was able to take his to the next level before he oh, yeah. tragically passed as well. Yeah. And and I look at it at one of my favorite performers, uh, Alexa Bliss. I think Alexa Bliss, at her very best, was when she was, you know, playing that character with Bray. When she was playing more of the demented Disney princess version that, like, you know, the fiend manipulated and everything that she kind of became with that. And they're kind of hinting that there was going to come back. Yeah. And then he started having his issues and they had to kind of go in a different direction and, and everything. And, um, you know, I think the people that were able to kind of hitch themselves to him to an extent, he made them better. He made them better performers. He made them better creatively. I think he, he, he elevated them. That's always something I kind of use to, to, to judge, you know, you mentioned the shield, you know, those guys, n- not one of those people elevated the other, you know, like no. nobody had to hitch their coattails to Dean Ambrose or to Seth Rollins or Roman Reigns right. or anything like that. They were able to kind of do it collectively. But when you look at that feud, I mean, it really is Bray versus the Shield with, you know, his quote unquote, as you would see from any kind of like cartoon show or anything. It's henchmen, right? right. Yes. Uh, and then, you know, Braun Strowman too. Bringing Braun in, and and you know Braun's been able to. to I, I like Braun Strowman a lot personally, but um, and again another person that when you see the character, you see how he portrays himself, you think of him one way, but then when the cameras are off and you see him backstage and you see just the admiration that his fellow wrestlers had for him, and you know Instagram Becky Lynch had a nice little story that she had. This is where I'll kind of leave it. Um, where she was talking about how she was cha- she was SmackDown Women's Champion, and she was about to have a ladders match or have a, a tables match, and she's never had a tables match before. She didn't know what to do. She didn't know how to position the table. She didn't know how you pull it out. She doesn't know how you set it up or anything like that. You know, and she's like, "I'm a 125 pound girl. I know it sounds very basic to you, but there's a lot more that goes into setting up a table and putting somebody through a table and." And doing the whole thing than you probably think about. And she said, he came up to me and said, you know, have you ever done this before? And she goes, I have no idea what I'm doing. And he made sure to help her every step of the way. Even the day of the pay-per-view when she was going to have the match. Rather than worrying about his match and what he was doing, he was dedicating all of his time to making sure that she was going to be able to tell a good match. 
and, you know, do the story she wanted to do and be prepared for it. And, you know, there's a lot of stories of, of that. And, you know, the pictures of him with his family and seeing him with his kids and ah, just being, you know, yeah. just being, you know, Wyndham. You know, there's a lot of people that had a lot of affection for Wyndham. And, uh, you know, that's that more than anything, more than the career, more than the accolades, more than his story as a professional wrestler. You know, you feel more for his story as a family man and not being able to be there for his kids. And it's uh, it's very tragic. And yeah. he'll be missed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. We Gone. never got to see the, the, the peak of Bray Wyatt, the character, like the, the gimmick. We never got to yeah. see it. And it's unfortunate we never will. Yeah, gone far too soon. And it'll be interesting to see if they carry any of that forward, like what they were building towards. Mm-hmm. I mean, when he was gone for a while, there was a lot of, you know, fan uproar of like, hey, we want Bray Wyatt back. And then when we started, they started doing the QR codes and the blue lights and mm-hmm. Uncle Howdy and all that. It was like, the fans were fucking eating that shit up. Like well, they, and, and again, like Alexa they, Bliss was starting. She, they they, they kind of yeah. converted her back to a baby face. She had to go through therapy and everything. And then you started to see her fracturing back. They were building all towards it. Yeah. Cause it, and so now the question becomes, does she carry that on? Does Bo Dallas carry that on with Uncle Howdy? Like, how does that play out? I don't we'll, think you we'll do. see, but I, I think out of respect of him as a person, you just sort of leave that be. Yeah. Um, and then we have one more in the wrestling family. I this know it's a not a sad fucking episode. It, 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 <laughs> I mean, it, look, we haven't even talked about WCW. Look, yet. life, life happens, right? And, uh, you know, we lost, uh, maybe one of the, one of the seminal, uh, people probably of our lives because anybody that's ever homesick, you know, you had the homesick trifecta. You had your chicken soup, you had a ginger ale, you had Bob Barker on at 11 o'clock in the morning watching Prices Right when uh, you would rather, when you otherwise would be in school. And we lost Bob Barker. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to steal this. It's not mine. Obviously, you probably have heard it a whole bunch of times. People are clever. Closest to $1 without going over. Mm. You know, Bob Barker 99. lived to, to the, a beautiful age of, of 99. And, uh, you know, I, I think regardless of, of who you are listening to this podcast, you know who Bob Barker is. And, uh, you know, left a, left an impression on all of us, being being inviting him into our homes, you know, five days a week. So, uh, and we bring him up here too, because, you know, he does have a, a dotted line to, to wrestling. Um you know, he was a host. I think when they were doing the hosts of Monday Night Raw. Back in the, the days where weekly there was a different host of Raw. Yeah. Yeah. We did have Bob Barker come 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 on down and be the next host of the of Monday Night see Raw. See what you did there. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Well played. Um, but, uh, you know, again, all accounts, a, uh, a genuine person. Uh, uh, seems like he was a good person. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, 99. I mean, look. That, that's a hell of a run. That's a great run. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So, and he did his show until he was eight. I think he was doing his show until he was like 83. That's when he decided to retire. Yeah. So he retired And then he still came back and did it like a few guest spots. Yeah. Uh, and of course, we all remember him from his iconic uh, portrayal of a, you know, glorified version of himself in Happy Gilmore. Yeah. Uh, and his fist fight with, uh, with Adam Sandler. Price is wrong, bitch. That's right. You know? Um, but, uh, but yeah, you know, the wrestling family is taking, uh, taking some shots this week. So, Whew. um, you ain't lying, man. But, uh, but you know, uh, 
tip tip of the hat to all three of them. Uh, they all deserve their flowers yeah. uh, for everything they've done, and we uh, we thank them for their contribution. I shall yep. drink, we'll have a drink to, to all that. Three. Drink to that. Cheers. Cheers, gentlemen. Uh, so now that we've been somber for far too many minutes, uh, we can we can we don't have to be goofy all the time, dear sweet listeners. We can we can play it serious. How every dare once you in a be? While. Yourself. Yeah, Noah's going to be pissed. We're like forty minutes in and no dick jokes. Uh, well, listen, there you go. Listen, um, there there are jokes coming, <laughs> um, and uh, I look forward to getting to that point in this in this episode. <laughs> So, I, have a whole, I have a whole page. I am fascinated by this topic because when we were, you know, behind the scenes, um, we're trying to figure out what to do, and I'm like, okay, wrestling's definitely the subject coming up. All right, Herb, what are we going to do? So I, I'm like, okay, what important things, I just Googled important wrestling moments uh, in September. And I'm like, okay, no, we're not going to cover that. No, no one else listened to that. And I went, Halloween Havoc Nitro. is still going on. Oh, oh wait, no, Nitro. shit fucking nitro i forgot it was september in my brain it was summertime but might as well have been you know basically was and so i'm like okay 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 let me let me look at the card first let me let's look at the fucking card first and i look at the card and i went oh this is fucking this is fucking perfect so i pose to the gentleman here to my left and my right how about the first nitro ever and it was a pretty unanimous yeah let's fucking do this shit uh, first and foremost, uh, before this, it was Monday Night Raw, and Monday Night Raw had only been on for a couple years, and I ain't like it had been on for ten years or anything, uh, but it was the only Monday Night Wrestling game in town. Yep. The only other show that WCW had at the time, I'm pretty confident, was uh, Saturday Night uh, on TBS. Yep. Six o five, which I watched very religiously. Most of like my youth uh, was like that was the show. And they're 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 pay per views on Sundays once a month. Um, Ted Turner, who had been uh, who had you know taken control of WCW and owned it for a few years at this point, several years at this point, had made the decision that he wanted to get into the prime time game on the weekdays. At this point, Eric Bischoff, who was executive producer for a few years, was put in charge of this. You imagine sitting a with super young Eric Bischoff. Yeah. You imagine sitting in front of Ted fucking Turner. Now, mind you, Eric Bischoff, Eric Bischoff has had one, and I don't know when we'll do this when we're running out of ideas. I would like to do an episode <laughs> on his like his general career. He was a fucking C squad, C level announcer before he became executive producer. That's a big. I listen. It's a big he, jump. He has a podcast, so I listen to his podcast on occasion, and I spe- I pick very specific episodes that I think are b- a bit more interesting. I listen to the episode where he talks about how he became executive producer, and it's fascinating. How do you go from being an AWA C level announcer, or he was really a B level announcer in AWA, to becoming a C level announcer for WCW, to becoming the most important person in WCW? That's fucking bananas. It's yeah. quite, that's quite the character arc. You have, yeah. You have blackmail Polaroids of your boss. Something. Well, <laughs> he had an idea. They, they, there was, they were like, they were, they've been struggling with management and they're like, okay, we're putting it out there. Like if you have some ideas for the future of WCW, come, we'll have like a th- big thing. He wasn't going to do it. He had some ideas. He'd been in the wrestling game for a few years. He likes it. He did out announcing for AWA because he's originally from Pittsburgh, by the way, Eric Bischoff. And then he moved to uh, Minneapolis uh, later on. But he's a, I'm pretty sure he was born and raised in... Oh, no. 
he's originally, I think he's originally from Pittsburgh, moved to Detroit, and then made his way to Minneapolis. Anyhow, uh, he, his wife said, no, you can do this shit. You know, the power of a, a supporting partner is important. Because had she not done that and really pushed, like, no, I believe you can do this. WCW would have looked very different. Yeah, yeah. yeah it wouldn't be WCW. Lori Bischoff, shout out to you, lady. It's like you're a board member at the OCP board meeting. And uh, <laughs> okay. you're trying to uh, push the uh, ED, uh, was it 209? Like shuffling of papers. The ED 209. <laughs> No, that's why he got out of Detroit in the first place. Yeah, that's why. That's right, yeah. And, uh, you know, that, that machine malfunctions when it just completely just blows away a board member yeah. uh, that's not even holding a gun, and then you just slide in the back door at the Robocop program. That's right. It's something like that. It's yeah, something like you know? very, very similar. So, just think of what the future of Detroit would be if that hadn't happened. Fuck, Lord knows, man. It all happens for a reason. It have been Delta City. That's right. Uh, so... Uh, Ted Turner basically says, all right, listen, you're in charge of this. Um, I'm giving you the reins. Like, you know, what do you want to do? And Eric Bishop's like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, it's exciting, but what do I fucking even do? Now, at this point, Monday Night Raw is taped. And they were taping several episodes at a time. Yep. Eric says, well, sometimes in life, you, you, you can be same as, better than, or less than. We can be better than this. Live. Which is a big deal for primetime wrestling. Live. There's no live wrestling outside of pay-per-views. Nothing. And so his whole idea was Nitro has to be live. Number one. That was the first tenant right there. Has to be live. And then anything can happen. Anything can happen. Because it's live. That's the whole idea. Right. Right? And you get that vibe from the first episode. Anything can happen. Luger shows up. Scott Norton shows up. It gets real fucking serious, right? Uh, so the point I'm getting to here is, without Eric Bischoff's vision for this, and obviously the money behind, you know, with with with, with Turner and yeah, because you know, billionaire Ted, WCW was starting to get some traction. Yep. In terms of, you know, there's always competition between WWF at the time and WCW, and a lot of the big WWF guys, Hogan, Savage, etc had already jumped ship like they were already starting to make waves in wcw and it was really getting some legs under it and it was a great opportunity for them to expand their fan base and also throw a big fuck you to the wwf by putting it at the same exact time on the same exact night but making it different enough that this is a live show like we already know what's going to happen over there everything's already predetermined but like this is different we can pivot. And, and you know, they, they picked a good time to do it, too, because, you know, the the very first episode of uh, WCW Monday Night Show took place on September 4th, 1995. So, um, you know, almost to the day when we're recording this here, uh, in Minneapolis, Minnesota, at the Mall of America, which at that point was, you know, that was a really big deal to kind of have it going it's on the there. Biggest mall in the country. Biggest yeah. mall in the country. Is it still... I, mean, I don't know. If you think about mall culture was like that was a whole thing. That then. was a yeah. whole and thing. And now it's like it isn't a thing. Yeah. So I have some questions about the mall. We'll get to later. <laughs> I, I do. I also do. Because <laughs> um, the mall was a character in and of itself. It absolutely was. Um but uh they also did it at a time when uh Raw was not airing. Yeah, the dog show episode. was playing. 
No, it wasn't the dog show. It was the U.S. Open. Was the U.S. It was Open? U.S. Open? The U.S. Tennis Championship. Dogs, tennis. Yeah, Same they're chasing balls. Yeah, the the which is which is funny too because when you think of the giant that WWE had become, they still had to suspend viewing for that one fucking week. I hated that because of the Westminster Dog Show. I fucking hated that. It. No matter how big Vincent Kennedy McMahon's promotion was. You know, the hurting group still took precedence <laughs> over whatever The Rock was doing that night. Uh, it didn't matter what The Rock was cooking. Nope. You know, the miniature standard poodle had to come out. I, the ratings had to have been justifiable. I it, the it money had, had to have been there. Oh, it had, it had to be. had to be. Um, but that was that was the thing. So they saw an opportunity, like, all right, we're going to launch this show live. Unopposed. Unopposed. Even during their time slot, we're going to start to drag your attention over. Because they're not giving it to you. And we will give it to you. Um, and then, you know, Nitro was born. So how... Uh, okay, so since this is the first time we've actually covered an entire Nitro, uh, how... how What were the feels for you like when the intro started? Well, first off, it was much easier to cover a Nitro when it was just 49... Uh, what is it? 45 40, 45 minutes. minutes and 19 yes. seconds long. Yes. That was a lot easier to cover than a three-hour Nitro. Yep. Right? For Um, for me, I have the same feeling now that I did then. Like, the Nitro intro fucking slaps. It does. It still does. It still does. It (laughs) It never changed. It never really changed. Until, like, the very end. Yeah. If they put half the effort that they did in their, like, recap packages that they put in that fucking Nitro (laughs) opening pro video, like, be sold. Well, they probably would have won. Yeah, maybe. I mean, Kevin Nash always says it was like it wasn't so much even the wrestling or anything. It's like this WWE just they figured out how to do the video production. promos and yeah. the production. They they invested in that. They put in that, and that that was that was the end. That's the entertainment yeah. piece. Yeah, it's that, important. That intro, just the fire and the city, and they're just like, oh, here we are. I wish I had a number of how many times I sat. I would. I had like this little fucking woodshop bench little seat that i had made in the middle school that i always sat on in front of my tv to watch monday night raw way too close to the tv watching monday night you can't raw. miss anything well goddamn you can't because i had to reach and press pause on the, the, the vcr to switch to raw to hit record so i had to get close you know see i built a reach and stick you had a reach and stick <laughs> so you built a stool <laughs> a reach and stick i built what, I called, what called it? i called it was called a reach and stick okay so because with my so when I when I finally when my my brother and my sister like were old enough and they weren't living in the house anymore, um, I finally like got my own room. So as everything was kind of positioned, I had one of those old TVs that had like the the, the twelve buttons on the side and the volume yeah. thing, yeah. and your remote control didn't control that. So right. even when you had the remote control and you turned the TV on, it didn't turn the TV on. So you still had to like get out of bed, press the button. You still had to control the the volume. You still had to press channel three so the cable box would show. And I'm like, fuck this. I'm far too lazy to move the two and a half feet necessary to get out of bed to control the volume and press the TV button. So in Woodshop, I created what we called the reach and stick, which I was able to use and was able to manipulate the volume control, press the button, turn the TV on and everything. And then it was nicely compact against like underneath my bed frame. So like it was out of sight. And I remember one day, like I was, I, I used the reach and stick, and I had a friend over, and he's like, "Dave, uh, it was it was uh, Brendan Hanna, B Hanna, B Hanna's over, and he's like, you know what, Dave, I really admire your dedication to laziness. <laughs> that's that's impressive. Like, I, I'm sure in the moment you thought that was like the most ingenious thing, 
That is ghetto as shit. <laughs> the reach and stick. I like that. I was lazy man. as shit. Man. Lazy as. Sh- listen, I respect it. You listen when when it's fucking winter time and it's cold in your room and you're nice and you're under your blankets and everything. Do you really want to get out of bed to just go ahead and like risk that comfort? I was not about to risk that comfort. I respect you that had enough control at the other end of the stick to like yeah hit yeah where you I were put I, to. yeah I was able to kind of like do this little thing with like a string and put a piece on the end so it could actually like kind of like like control and pinch like a chopstick yeah that's some Mister Wizard shit I, it was it's nice. it's it is if if you saw my house now you'd be like why aren't you fucking more ingenious with the shit you're doing now <laughs> you're like fucking data from the Goonies your engineering peaked in the eighth grade like, <laughs> no, right. I did I did. <laughs> Slick shoes. <laughs> mm. So, uh, also, shout out to fucking Standard Definition TV. Uh, and I don't mean that in a good way. <laughs> I'm like, oh, fuck, I, for- oh, I forgot about this. This is not good. It was weird. I had to, trans- I had to like, adjust myself, my, my brain, to the not-so-great visual quality. And it, it wasn't j- just that, but, like, some of the promos... Like they would put the screen over yes. the other screen, and you could still see the rest of the screen behind yeah. it. Oh, they were they great. were fucking up like, a little bit. I'm like, man, that shit is not. Shit was up. live, that baby. The shit was live. And figured out the transitions from one <laughs> it was shot the first to the next. Yeah. You know, Mr. Wall Street, you fucked that up. You um, could have fucking hired one person who worked for the NFL to like be in charge of your production trailer, so you didn't mess that one up. I don't know. Ted had the money. Mm-hmm. Braves were winning championships at that point. Fuck that guy. Um. So let's. <laughs> Let's, let, can you imagine? Okay, so the show opens, and you got fucking Bobby Heenan. God bless Bobby Heenan. We need more Bobby Heenan in the wrestling world. Mongo, rest in peace. He's passed away, I think, finally. I think he passed away. Um, Mongo McMichael. Yeah, yeah, he had ALS, I believe, unfortunately. He had a, he had a long battle with that. Uh, and, but you imagine being Eric Bischoff, being as young as he was, and your baby, you're executive producing this shit. This is a big deal. Yeah. And you're opening the show like it's you. Yeah. You're yeah. Your front center, man. Yeah. It's real here. That was a very Vince McMahon move to me. You know, like in it's my it's my baby. You know, like I could just <laughs> <laughs> do the Vinny Mac the walk. Vinny Mac walk, right? Fans, if you can see I'm doing the, the the VKM walk. That was the first thing that I actually noted about this is that you know what, yeah. It would it it would make no sense to me if anybody else other than Eric Bischoff was there to to run that. Now, as as somebody who, and and albeit a very small scale, I'm not going to sit there and say that I like am fucking Kevin Costner or anything directing Dances with Wolves. You're better than Kevin Costner while acting in it. But I have directed a movie that I've acted in, and or that I've produced in or anything. And when you get to a point where it's like, all right, at that stage, it's completely out of your hands. It's in the hands of the people that you're trusting to, um, that you're trusting to produce the show. And um, so, but when when the camera turns on and, and you're just now the announcer, Eric Bischoff, that's familiar, yeah. right? That's, some, that's what you know. Yeah. That's how you're able to handle this. That's how you're able to um that's your sweet spot it's the all the other stuff leading into the show getting everything ready what it's going to happen after that's the stuff that's foreign that you're still learning mm. so i thought in that kind of situation like, well yeah it does make sense that he would be there to be the first person the first face you see the first voice you hear um and for him that would be the 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 most controllable piece of it 
you know, and it's fun about you know watching this first show. I remember why Eric Bischoff was a C level announcer. <laughs> oh, he's not great. He's I mean, he's not bad though. Like, yeah. We've heard worse. Why that he just didn't know the the name to any moves? Like we didn't have Mike today in there yet. No, we didn't have the doc, the, the professor Mike today calling all the Hunkenranas and the Mahi Stall Cradles and the, all the moves that we learned later on in life that we know what we're talking about. Um, <laughs> so let's let's okay, well, let's talk about the opening match. Listen, God damn it! Look, I cannot overstate the importance of this singular show. Like, this is a lot of money involved with this. There's mm-hmm. a lot of trust. Ted Turner, one of the more one of the richest men in the world, is like, you handle this. Eric Bischoff says, okay. He was pretty hands-off. He was just yeah, like, here's he the money. Make it happen. Eric Bischoff, who amasses a team, you know, gets a team around him. And, that's Eric, and Eric Bischoff has mentioned this in his show many times, 83 Weeks. It's a great show. Listen to it. Um, he's specified many times that back then, especially, he was hands-off with creative. He had nothing to do with that. Very little, like little bits and pieces. Like, he had to sign off on stuff ultimately, but... He didn't. He was not in the in in the booking room with that stuff. Imagine like working for Vince McMahon and then going to work at WCW, and just it's the, night and day. Just this. It's like you know, here's one management style, and then over here is the completely opposite management style. And WWF, that. it's Vince. It's a machine. It's Vince, Pat Patterson, Bruce Pritchard, and like maybe Jim Cornette or Paul Heyman. And but it's Vince. They go to his house, they go to his mansion, and they work on creative. Like, back in the 80s and 90s, like, that's what you did. You'd literally show up early as shit. Vince is already... Vince sleeps, like, four hours a night, which is... just like a fucking human. And he would be up just working, 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 working. And you'd show up, sit by the pool, and work on creative. WCW, it's a committee. It was always a committee. NWA, like, uh, uh, Mid-South, uh, UWF... Crockett Promotions. It was always committee, which is why there was always issues. In WCW, it was committee, which is why there were always issues. But with, you know, the gravity of the situation, the importance of this match, the importance of the show, imagine being Brian Pillman or Chushin Thunder Liger, which, by the way, Chushin fucking Thunder Liger was in the opening match of the very first fucking Nitro. He's the first person you saw. He was the first wrestler. He was the first wrestler to ever appear on Monday Night Show. That's so cool, man. Because he was already a big deal by 1995. He's a bigger, you know, he became a much bigger deal later on. But, like, Jushin Thunder Liger opened your fucking show with Brian Pillman. Flying Brian. Yeah. You know much, again, pressure to perform. And they were sloppy. Brian was sloppy. Brian was sloppy. You know, there's probably some nerves involved. Yeah. You know, I mean, he's coming back from an injury as well. But the opening match was great. I really enjoyed it for what it was. It was high pace. It was high. And that set up a tempo for W. We all know some of our earliest memories of Nitro are you sit down. It's 8 o'clock. You got your, your bowl of chips or whatever. You got your fucking cup of Kool-Aid with a couple of ice cubes in it. You're sitting down watching or you're high. You, gotta, oh, you, have have a, you have to have the ice cubes. The ice cubes made it fancy. Yeah. Exactly. That's how you knew you were fucking there. That's right. You arrived. And the first match, Lucha Libre action, baby. Yep. That was a tempo that WCW, that Eric Bischoff and company had established. Open the show hot. Open the show with high-flying action. 
I discovered more Lucha Libre, more Luchadores from like <laughs> the opening matches of Nitro. Seriously, well, yeah. over the six just, years it was we, on we or whatever. We all discovered yeah. our Rey Mysterios, our 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 Psychosis, our La Parcas, our Chris Jericho, our Chris Jerichos, our Dean Malenko's, all these guys who the, the Silver King, fucking Silver King, fuck that guy, but he was good. And <laughs> fuck him, but also, <laughs> but he was but really also good. good but also, but good he job. was good. Yeah. yeah. But we just, but they had WCW had established, uh, and they started in 1995 in the first episode because that first match was hot. It was high flying. There was some groundwork, but it was mostly you know really sloppy hook and ranas and things like that. Um, I think for the time, I thought the match was fantastic. For again, for it only being like three fucking matches that night. <laughs> yeah, um, three matches, six wrestlers. 17 wrestlers showed up on this pay-per-view. True. Six worked. Um, I, 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 I think, you know, I, one of the things that I enjoyed most about WCW was the Cruiserweight division. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and, and from, you know, my, you know, personal, one of my two personal favorite wrestlers of all time, Chris Jericho, you know, he, he always knew that no matter what happened on Monday Nitro, no matter what happened, whether what Hogan was going to, whatever NWO was going to do, Diamond Dallas Page, anybody. He knew that you're the first thing they're going to see when people tune in. You have the opportunity of stealing the show. And that division had that mentality. And it gave, it immediately set the tone differently from, from WWF oh, at that point. Completely. Right? And, um, you know, seeing that, brought back so many of those memories for me because again the cruiserweight division was probably my favorite thing also too as as somebody who watched raw mostly as as a as a teenager and everything you know the cruiserweight stuff was in was the first hour of the show you know that was when raw was not on because raw was nine to eleven at that point and and nitro was eight to eleven of course now it just was just a one hour show to start yeah but that's always the stuff that i would tune in for and then i would switch over to raw at nine o'clock um at that point but um, it just brought so many great memories back for me that that how that that DNA was established minute three of the show. Like this is where we're going. Fucking strap in. Yep. Anything can happen. Yeah. Anything can happen. What did you think yeah. of the match? Yeah, it was, it was solid action. It was a good match. Uh, and you know, I always my vision of Brian Pillman is always towards the end of his career. Like he looked really big to me in yeah. this match. Uh, compared to where he ended up, and maybe that's cocaine. But uh, it, it's it's interesting uh, the dynamic of WCW and how Bischoff approached it. And to start out with that fast page uh, cruiserweight match, I mean, it was fucking smart. Now keep in mind, we're gonna go to the well on this a couple times uh, to quote uh, Gorilla Monsoon, uh, but. We're only like a little over a month away from uh, Halloween Havoc 95, which we've covered in the archives. And this Brian Pillman that we're seeing becomes a part of the Horseman. The Horseman, Think yeah. That, that whole angle How about with that? Bard and Flair and Sting and yep. Pillman. That, this is like, it's so cool because I didn't even click. I'm like watching, like, why is Arn coming out? We're, we're getting ahead of myself. And I'm like, man, why is he Why is he attacking Flair? Oh, shit. Yeah, I forgot all. Of, this is the whole, the whole pay, the beginning of, the, or not the beginning, but the middle point. That's, We're like a month a away from block. the payoff yeah. of yeah. The, the of the swerve and the turn and all that. Um, but great opening match, and it was nice to kind of see Nick Patrick back in 1995. <laughs> I'm like, holy shit, look at this guy! And we're only he's calling it even. Yeah, he's actually being a good good ref. 
Um, so we we got a transition, and unfortunately Noah's not here to talk shit about this, but the Pasta Mania segment. There's a lot of bull. So behind the scenes, yet again, uh, Jeff had mentioned via our, our our nothing good group text message. We were talking about the ma- the show. And uh, he says, "Oh, there's not a lot of filler." And I'm like, "Man, there's a lot of fucking filler in this show." <laughs> okay, my, because I was <laughs> like, a lot." I was like, "This show is less than an hour," and I was like, "We're used to like three-hour wrestling shows now," and I was like, "There's a lot less filler." I mean, there's only three matches, but there's, I I phrased it as there's no filler. <laughs> there's so much. And Herb's like, "Yes, there's filler." There's and I was so like, much. "I meant there was less filler there's than less. what we're used to relative to uh, a three-hour show." But yes. the filler that there was was fucking shit. <laughs> <laughs> we had that well even before we got defense, yes, even before we, shit filler. even before we got to uh pasta mania we did have our first nitro promo mm. which was sting oh okay yeah and and to me that was always very um appropriate because i associate if there's one wrestler that i associate with nitro with wcw more than anybody else it's sting he's that, the franchise that yes. version of sting no no, not okay. the not the ultimate warrior version of Stan. Yeah. Uh, it's very know, purple. He was a little purple. Uh, this is also in that first match, everybody. You know, just kind of circling back to it. And I know we're going to talk about it. And my transition to this here. Um, can we talk about the mall? Can we talk about the setting? Oh, my wife had words about in the mall. role that this played. Because I noticed for the first time in this match, um, the escalators that were in the background, depending on your camera angle. And I felt like the same people were riding up the escalator and then walking the other side and riding down the escalator and then I'm, walking the other side. I made a note. I said, up the escalator. why were these escalators so full at all times? Yeah. Because if like the. It's the Mall of America. It's a big mall. But the mall was still open yeah. from what it appeared like. It seemed like yeah. it. Yeah. I don't know if they sold tickets to see nitro or if people were just like hey you're walking through the mall come sit down over here uh the escalators was super distracting the mall in general was very distracting as a background but for the areas in the back like you could see that like the mall wasn't that busy except for that area except for the escalators and it was the most bizarre thing which is why i made a note of it (laughs) like if you if you were making a movie and you weren't worried about what people could see in the background, but you just needed to make sure that you had the simulation of movement. Like you would put somebody on a conveyor belt, it would go up, and then at the top they would circle back down. You wouldn't see them because they'd be underground, and then they circle back up, and they'd be visible again, and they go behind the scenes. Like that's what it felt the people were. They're just taking the escalator up and then taking the escalator down. Yeah, <laughs> like for, like whatever for the whole hour. <laughs> whatever seats they didn't sell, that was the standing room only. But you had Very to well earn it. You had I, to fucking earn it. So my wife, uh, which we don't have, we don't. We, she never watches the wrestling stuff with me. Uh, she might peek in for an ep- a match or two, but she did watch the opening match, the entire thing, which she actually enjoyed. But the takeaway, as we're watching it, she just kept going back to the escalators. She goes, "This just looks dangerous. Someone's gonna hurt themselves." There are too many people. On she's escalators. like, Lots of she's people. like, there's too many people on the escalators, and they're all watching the ring. Yeah, someone's gonna fall over. Yeah. I'm like, no one's gonna fall over. It was goes, very Somebody could fall over. And you I'm know, like, oh. that would. So if we were of the right age, and we did not know, we lived in Minnesota, we did not know that there was going to be a nitro until last minute, and then we go to buy tickets, and they're all sold out. This is before. You have, you know, resale websites for people to sell their tickets for marked up prices or anything. 
But you figure, oh, we can just go to the mall and just ride the escalator and watch the thing. <laughs> that would have been us. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know? Like, 100%. Hey, we didn't pay for tickets. We got a great view. We <laughs> just fucking watch this. Just kind of, it's just moving. <laughs> that was distracting. Also, of where you position this ring, you could probably set this up in any portion of the Mall of America. There's probably lots of places you could really theoretically do this. You do it outside of a store that just sells international flags. <laughs> I didn't that's even know. True. I didn't even know such a store could exist. Oh my god! But that's what it was, and it just kept pulling my eyes away yeah. when they got to that shot. And I'm like, oh, why is there a flag store? And then I got to myself thinking, who needs a flag that much? That there's a whole fucking store in a mall. Is the Mall of America that fucking bold? I swear they had Are one there in their balls? local mall. Are we ne- I never saw they, they, a flag store yeah, in a there local was a, mall. There's a store. There was a store. Or maybe it was Monroeville Mall. But there was a store that had a ton of just flag stuff. I'm not, I swear I'm not making this up. Yeah. It was not a big store, but there was a, a flag store. What kind, I, fuck dude, I've been to Minnesota. What kind of fucking diversity is there that they have that many flags they need to sell? Apparently more than here. I don't know. It, it no, was, I said it. It was interesting because if you look at the other store, so there was the flag store. Yeah. And I made a note. How many of these stores are still in business? Oh, Probably. there's no way any of them because it was they kept focusing on the same ones. It yep. was the flag store, it was uh, the train store right yeah. next door to that. Yeah, uh, which was where the entrance ring was, or the entrance ramp. There was uh, Kids R Us up on the second floor. Okay, there was a uh, service merchandise. I could even see that. I couldn't even see that well. There was uh, Wicks and Sticks, which it's a candle place. I do. I, guess. I actually know of Wicks and Sticks. Yeah. And then, like, you could see, like, these places in the background, like, further back down that main entryway. And, like, I guarantee, like, most of these places are gone. Oh, they have to be like, like, at this point. All well, these years later. Yeah. yeah. I, well, I thought it was great because they were, like, chaos in the locker room. There's chaos in the locker room. Like, where's the fucking locker room? It's right past what? the train store on is the it, left. What, <laughs> is it, is it, is, did they turn, did they convert an NRM? They just took one of the was, bathrooms over. Was it an Albon Pan? Was it a corn dog on a stick, a Spencer's, a GNC, a KB Toys, a Borders, a Wars? I can do these don't, old stores. Don't drag KB into this. I did. <laughs> oh, shit. If he, look, if he's bringing Kids R Us into it, I'm bringing KB. But it, it was just weird because, like, then you could see, like, the stores in the background. And then when Luger came out, they were focusing down the ramp. Yeah. And you could see the train store. And you could see a bunch of people inside the store looking through the windows out into the entry ramp. <laughs> and I was like, this is fucking a bizarre place to have. It's an interesting concept. <laughs> to have a wrestling uh, it's event. It's memorable. But it worked. It worked. Yeah. Uh, so let's get to that pasta mania segment uh, so we can get it out of the mania. way. Because I don't want to talk about this very long. Running carbs wild on you, brother. Listen, brother. I, um, All the local according maniacs. to our, 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 our resident uh, wrestling uh, historian who's not here, god damn it, uh, he says that it was a matter of Hogan choosing between uh, the Foreman Grill idea and Pasta Mania, and he chose Pasta Mania instead. Chose that poorly. motherfucker chose poorly. <laughs> <laughs> okay? Can we just get that out of the way right now? He chose so... Worst decision of his life. Yeah, not Worst great. decision of his life. Uh, Pasta Mania... It's, fun, you know, it's funny. Noah's mentioned Pasta Mania to me before. Like, you know, like ah, I, I kind of remember it, but I don't remember. He sent me pictures of it, like of like the ads. That is the first time I actually saw it. Saw it, yeah. And that's some bullshit. <laughs> What made Terry Bollea think that was a good idea? Profit margin. 
Fuck, I don't... I just, you know how much a bowl of pasta costs? But who would want that? He thought little kids would. Yeah. He was wrong. So, during that promo, where were the parents of all those kids? On the other they're side. Just, they're just in pasta mania with Hulk Hogan. Well, remember, right. this is we're still closer <laughs> to the 80s than we are the 2000s, so parents just left their kids there. They oh, weren't yes. worried. <laughs> they were the shopping. Mall. The Mall of America was safe. They didn't even go there for Nitro. They just went there for fucking Hulk Nuggets. Yeah. And pasta Mania. Pasta fucking Mania. He even had a shirt that said Pasta Mania. He did? How dare you? <laughs> I got Pasta Mania on the brain, brother. How, how are you going to fucking desecrate the Hulkamania t-shirt with Pasta Mania? You shill. I said it. Fuck you, Hulk Hogan. Oh, we're going to get to that. I just... Gonna, I, well, that match, oh, fuck. All right, anyhow. So I, I went back and watched that promo a couple times to count how many times he says Pasta Mania. In the 60-second promo. He's getting it that was, shit all in. It there. was eight times. That's eight too times many. Yes. That's eight times too many. <laughs> if you're doing shots during that Pasta Mania promo, you're fucked yeah. up before the end of this yeah. episode. <laughs> you're fucking drunk on marinara. I'd like to know the numbers. Like I, wonder, like, I would like to know how many boxes of Pasta Mania pasta was actually sold. I'd like to know how much money was made. There was a fucking store. There was an actual fucking like, food court store. I wonder if that was a real thing or they just did it up for the show. I felt like it had to be a pop-up. It's, it seemed like it. It felt like a pop-up. It, what? Was, it was a Sbarro's normally, is what you're saying. <laughs> what spaghetti place would you prefer to go to? Would it be Pasta Mania or would it be Mom's Spaghetti, which is that was, M&M's pop-up spaghetti place in Detroit. And that, that was immediately my thought when I saw this promo. It's like, oh, this is just like Mom's Spaghetti, even though fucking this happened, you know, 20 years before Mom's Spaghetti happened. Yeah. That's a fantastic idea. Um yeah, so fuck Pasta Mania. That happened. It's unfortunate. We're sorry, guys. Don't skip that shit when you watch this episode. Um, so. Or don't. Watch it like Jeff did several times and count the Pasta Mania <sighs> references. Count the really awkward interactions Hulk has surrounded by kids. It was so weird, man. It was so yeah, weird. It's a little odd. Uh, but you know what else is weird? That this was not the main event, uh, this next match, because it's Sting versus Ric Flair. Those are some pretty big names. All right, look, I get it. Hulk Hogan's your world's heavyweight champion. And so, yes, he and has the to be the most recognizable event. name in sports entertainment. And I totally get that. And I'm not denying any of this. But, man, to be fair, this was not a great match either. It, I have a question. You counted how many times Pasta Mania was said? Did you fucking watch this match a couple times to count how many times there were Gorilla Press Slams? Because there were so fucking many <laughs> of called, them. I called it more how many times did Sting grab Flair's By the, cock. Yeah. yeah. Allie walked through. She has the knack of walking through these moments in wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, her, that's so good. And she, like, just like, she just like stops Jones. during like the 11th Gorilla Press Slam and just goes, he's just grabbing by his dick. And I went, so, kind of. So, yes. so, 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 <laughs> 10th time. So, Jones, like, I, I, I have to, I have to, I have to let you know, man. It's not that she walks in at just the opportune moment. It's not like it's the one time during a pay-per-view where the man's got a fistful of cock as he's <laughs> pressing somebody over. Just, just all of, just all of Flair. She's got Charlotte Flair in his hand at that point, basically. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, it's like, you know, I was, uh, I was dating somebody um, in the early two thousands and I was extremely excited to share with her Lord of the Rings. And like, after we watched it, I'm like, well, what'd you think? She goes, those hobbits are totally gay for each other. And I'm like, what? That's what you got from That's this? That's what you got from this? <laughs> she's like, she's like, she's like, look at how much he like loves him. 
as he's like carrying him up the mountain. Like no no best friends do that. Best friends like you know what fuck this, this is too much. I'm just gonna leave it. <laughs> That's a great best friend. <laughs> Jesus. That's just too. She's like they're definitely. She's like they're definitely gay for each other. And like for the duration of that relationship, I'm trying to be like no no they're just they're true friends. Like that's the true friendship. It's like yeah, they were really huddled closely on that cold mountain there, Dave. So. Fast forward to, I can't remember what fucking show it was, but I saw a clip and they were talking about, and he's like, oh, you know that movie about those two guys that were gay on the mountain? I'm like, Brokeback Mountain. She goes, oh, Lord of the Rings. And I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> that's that's us watching wrestling too. It's like, oh, just Allie walks in that one time. It's it's not that one time. There's, there's, there's a lot of just questionable moments of where guys' faces are with tights. Oh, she'll walk in and go, why is he so sparkly? <laughs> like, because he fucking likes sparkles. He I likes the Quins, yeah. okay? Come on. I had that about Sting. Yeah, she was he asking was very, about Sting. Sting was that's who she was talking about, sparkling. Dave. Sting and Flair. She was like, why are they so sparkly and shiny? Like, because that's his fucking... He's a gangster. That's what he does. Yeah. <laughs> that's what Thug Life looks like. That's what Thug Life in 1995 <laughs> in Minneapolis, Minnesota <laughs> that's looks right. like. On yeah. WTV. Different yeah. times. Um, so, okay. So, but, no, really, how many Gorilla Press Slams were there? Because there was, I didn't count. I, I start. I was like, I should count, but at that point, I'm, I'm not rewinding. There this. is at least so. There is a point that I There's thought ten. There is a point that I actually thought that my feed on Peacock <laughs> it was just stuck was and skipping, <laughs> and I was like, and then I rewound it. I was like, oh no, he just keeps press. He just keeps gorilla slamming. Like they did. They were like, let's just do the least amount of work here, but. Flair, you take the most amount of fucking fucking back bumps. I give Flair a lot of credit for taking that many. Yeah, uh, and, and to be fair, he never takes a flat back because he has a broken back, so he takes them on the side. That's yeah. true. But I feel confident it was at least nine of them. And the match itself was very one-sided. It was very like, let's just give the people something, give yeah. them a taste of something. Um, but I, and, and ironically, that was the ending match of the last Nitro, was Flair and, and, and Sting, Uh shout out you know um but it's nice to see that they really diversify their storytelling well they did it on purpose god damn it um it was a full circle moment man so joke jeff that's why they fucking went out of business that's why vince bought him god shots fired uh so but it was a very typical sting flair mid 90s match it was Flair with an offense, Sting no sells it. Sting grill press slams Flair, rinse and repeat. Uh, I liked when he tried to gorilla press him um, over the top. Oh, that rope, didn't go well, and he couldn't do it. Could not do and it. And he's like, just he, he, I, he <laughs> couldn't because the camera wasn't on that angle. It was more from behind, but I could kind of feel like Sting going, just grab the fucking second rope. <laughs> it's true. God damn it. There were some questionable camera angles, and it it it. Almost shot or felt like it was being shot like uh, handheld, like the cameras were real close in your mm-hmm. face. It's live, like, man. I'm anything like, they happen. don't do that like that anymore. But speaking of anything can happen, Double A, the Enforcer, Arn Anderson comes strutting down, uh, looking like Arn Anderson can only look like he's looked for the last thirty years, and he's like, and now again back to what we were mentioning earlier like okay this is leading up to halloween havoc 1995 and how uh flair and and arn were having a feud supposedly and then flying brian pillman had joined the ranks of the horsemen it was a whole thing and sting flair needed help from sting and sting you know reluctantly joined flair and it ended up biting him in the ass (laughs) pretty fucking hard got him yeah got yeah it was a big got him actually uh but you know arn comes down 
and ends up, you know, uh, interfering in the match later on, uh, and and gets into a fist fight with Flair. Flair fucking books it. He, he, you know, he, he he powders out of the ring. It was a weird match. It was a weird match. I get like they're trying to push this storyline, uh, 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 you know, forward, but it was just odd. Yeah, we also got uh, Luger show up. Oh fuck, I forgot. In, all about uh, that. That fresh puffy shirt he just bought in the mall on his way to the he ring. He had to have. It was literally three stores down from the outfit. <laughs> he had to have. Yeah. Fucking he, he stopped at, yeah, he stopped at a, a shirt store and he shopped at or stopped at the salon to get his hair teased. Oh, that shit was poofed. on his way to the ring. Just wait. Uh, and then and he was gone. And then Arn Anderson came out. More more on Luger's hair later. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so what point does Scott Norton come out? Scott Norton comes out towards the end of this. It was at the, it was kind of at the end. It was after Arn Anderson. Yeah, it was after Anderson. They kind of went back to, uh, McMichael and Bischoff. And, um, then you could see as, I can't remember who was, somebody was, I can't remember who it was, was leaving the ring. And then you saw him actually Norton cross paths with him. I think it was Sting. I think it was Sting. Yeah. yeah. Was leaving the ring and you could actually see Norton crossing paths with him. Now Scott Norton is a was a is well I don't know anymore but at the time was a big deal in Japan. He comes over to the WCW and obviously they're looking to insert him in a major way. But this is not the Scott Norton that we start to become familiar with by ninety six, ninety seven, ninety eight, where he's just like a crony in WCW. Yeah. Or was it um, with him and Buff Bagwell, Vicious and Delicious, which was a whole other conversation for another time. <laughs> but <laughs> a terrible tag team name. Listen, man. Hey, I don't know who was Vicious or who was Delicious. It was one of them. Um, they knew. Pepper's yeah, they Farm they, remembers. They fucking Pepper's Farm. Uh, um, Scott Norton looked pretty fucking intimidating. He's a big intimidating dude. And yeah. he looked like a guy who just got out of fucking prison and was looking for a real good reason to go back. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> he was like ready to fucking cut somebody. Yeah. He just really enjoyed the three square meals a day. He, and... he really wanted to hurt somebody yeah. to go back. Yeah. So he could hurt more people. Um, but I really dug that like, you know, him and Savage are getting each other. That felt like, again, yeah. it's live. Yeah. Then Savage Anything's comes out. Happening. This, like Bischoff is losing his shit and then Savage comes out to save the day. Tries to get a match going. They're like, we'll save it for next week. You know, for for the for the thirty minutes into this episode and two matches, we got a lot of screen time for a lot of different people. Mm-hmm. Introducing know. a lot. Yeah, of Yeah, they're trying to showcase their. You know, they they introed Sabu. They introed yeah, uh, fucking Sabu, who was also at Wall that Street. Uh, yeah, that uh, Halloween Havoc '95. Yeah, he was in the match. Remember that uh, heavyweight title run he had in WWE? Oh, that didn't happen. Yeah. No, no, sorry, yeah. no. Shoulda, woulda, coulda. And yep. that leads us to VK Wall Street, uh, who makes a shout out to the IRS, which I got a kick out. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you know, and, and this is, look, 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 hey, you know, sorry for your loss, uh, Mr. Rotunda. You know, your son was a great talent, but the VK Wall Street gimmick was shit. And everybody knew it. It's not great. Yeah. It is I like, not great. I like how he got, like, a fucking iron-on patch of a dollar sign just put it on Like, what are we jacket. doing here? Like, are you a million dollar like, man? Like really, Ted Turner couldn't like. He's like hundred dollar for, man. Like, Definitely hundred dollar man. No, he showed up <laughs> expecting a wardrobe and they didn't have one because it was one of those like classic situations. Where it was like you were supposed to provide it. No, no, no. We told you to provide it. No, no, no. You said you. Well, fuck it. What do we do now? There's a the store dollars? down around the corner. There's a Dollar General. How do I make it look like I'm rich? I'll put a dollar sign on there's it. There's a there's a slick your hair back. Put a dollar sign on. You're yeah. ready. Uh, so I got I got a kick out of that. Uh, I forgot that. BK Wall Street was a thing. Uh, so, but now we're at the end of the show. <laughs> well, real quick before you get there, there's one thing I missed I wanted to say about the Flair Sting match before we move on to the last match here. 
um, was probably my favorite thing about this episode was a sign that a fan had that I saw when the uh, cardboard when, WCW sign. It was it was it was it was after that. It was a sign that read, uh, and I quote, I wish Flair was my dad. It was a white sign with black letters. And I paused it. Probably is. I paused it because my thought was, he might be. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, probably I mean, yes, if I mean, you got your side of the DNA test. You don't have his. So (laughs) it's very, it's, it is, there's a better chance of him being your dad than him not being your dad. That's like the odds of that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so don't forget me and Gene gave away a Harley. Okay. Oh, first of all, true. I didn't write anything down, but I was pissed because <laughs> we got one of the most prolific fucking announcers of all fucking time. That's his only job that and whole he night. fucking shows up for that on the first nitro best foot forward folks. And you put him on to give away a fucking motorcycle. Mike Hill from, uh, <laughs> Palm, Alabama. If you're listening. Do you think he still has the motorcycle? Do you still have the Harley? Reach like, out to us on the socials. Let us like know. The monster truck. Yeah. Oh fuck. Away. Yeah. The fucking monster. That was my truck. thing. I'm like fucking WCW loves giving shit away. I had to get people to watch. They weren't. I don't getting... know if they actually. That probably isn't even a Mike Hill or whatever fucking name. There's no is. Mike yeah. Hill. No, that's a made up name. There's no Mike Hill. There's no Harley. Yeah. It's oh, made. Couldn't, it's made. They for couldn't TV. afford the dollar sign on uh, fucking Wall Street's jacket. So yeah. So we are at the last match of the night. Main event. We're talking a match that saw uh, Brian Pillman versus Jushin Thunder Liger, uh, Ric Flair versus Sting. So the main event has got to be a big deal. We get uh, one of easily the greatest uh, or the most important and most influential uh, professional wrestler of all time, regardless of how I may feel about him personally, uh, Hulk Hogan. World Heavyweight Champion Hulk Hogan. Versus Big Bubba Rogers. The the face of Pasta Mania. <laughs> Jesus Christ. In case Christ. you guys weren't sure who he was. Of the Vers- laundry yeah, list. versus the artist formerly known as the Big Boss Man. As the laundry list of fucking wrestlers he could have fucking fought that aren't Big Bubba Rogers. Rest in peace, Bubba, by the way. Well, he was, from what I have read, he was supposed to face Vader. Either that Nitro or the next Nitro. And there was some backstage altercation that Vader got in trouble and then that's that would be Paul Orndorff Paul Orndorff whooped his ass is what happened uh, it was I don't think it was at a gym this is fucking legendary Paul Orndorff who main evented the first Wrestlemania by the way uh, was at the gym or in the backstage and something and Vader who was a big motherfucker who will not be fucked with uh, and he was big bad Vader then. Yeah, yeah. He they got into an, a, a verbal altercation, and then that verbal altercation became a physical altercation, and Paul Orndorff whooped Vader's ass in front of a lot of people, and I think there were actual like civilians, like regular fucking people <laughs> who saw this happen. <laughs> and Vader was not the same after that, and he was shortly let go after. There was a there there used to be a, a, a thing back in like the territory days, um, where if uh, a civilian, a regular audience member, whooped your ass in a bar fight, which was common back in those days, because you think if you're, I don't know, let's say you're Bobby Eaton, and you're one of the hottest fucking heel tag teams in the fucking world, and this, we're talking a time when you needed police escorts to get back to the back from the ring, because people yeah. would try to stab you and throw batteries and shit at you. It was no fucking joke. If you had heat... Those fucking backcountry motherfuckers hated you. Yeah. And they wanted to see you dead. But after the show, you still went out to fucking party. Yeah. And it was common for 
Big Joe, who's the biggest dude in the fucking yeah. town, roll up on Bobby Eaton, roll up on Tully Blanchard, roll up on Arn Anderson, roll up on the fucking Road Warriors and go, I don't think you're that fucking tough. You were those fucking spandex. I'll beat your ass. You had to fucking win. Because if you didn't, your ass was released. You can't lose to some fucking random it's dude. It's a weird way of breaking kayfabe. <laughs> you can't break kayfabe. You cannot, man. Nope. Like, so... Yeah, so Vader, I'm pretty sure this is around the time Vader went to WWF. He went to, he ended up in WWF in January. It was the altercation with later. him and Paul yeah. Orndorff whooped his ass, and that was the end of that, unfortunately. Was that before or after he was uh, Hunter's father on Boy Meets World? I don't know, Dave. Hmm. I don't know. Check the yeah. timeline. So I know that this match, guys, was Hogan versus uh, Bubba. Right, big Bubba to big you. Bubba Rogers, right? But I feel like there's a match within the match that we need to talk about. Wait, there's a match within the there's match. a match within Is the match. Is this like an here, Inception guys. match? Uh, it it we're, there's going to be a Christopher Nolan reference here at some point. Yes, uh, it is the uh, match about what happens when Hogan tosses his do rag. And it's Hogan versus his hairline. So this is a part of the episode that I like to call Hogan versus his hairline. So if you'll indulge me for is this. Is this a new segment on the um, show? It happens occasionally on wrestling episodes where I just kind of go off on a tangent. And as I was watching this match, I just couldn't separate Hogan from what was going on on his head. So What, what okay. little was there? Well, we're going to get to that. So... Um, Hogan's hairline is basically the same shape at the back of his head, like a clothesline that just gave up. <clears throat> I'm done. So, <laughs> so, he's got two more pages. Oh, no. I, I actually do have two pages of this. Oh, just, no. yeah. Hogan's hairline looks like what's left at, at like oh. what's left in a valley after a glacier is receded. <laughs> oh shit. Um. White Trash saw Hogan's hairline and decided to grow back another four inches. Jesus Christ, man. Yeah. Uh, the back of Hogan's head looks like the um, styrofoam dummy head that a hairdresser uses to pin a wig <laughs> onto it after it's been used, except it's it's his real head. Oh, my yeah. goodness. Uh, Hogan's hairline looked like someone gave up in the middle of a mullet transplant because uh, his head is so tanned that it was restricting... Uh, it was like re-stitching horse hair into a catcher's mitt. That's fuck. Okay, yeah, that's very, that's very specific. <laughs> fun fact. Fun fact. Hogan's hairline is made of the same uh, fibers that violinists use to make their bow. <laughs> um, Hogan's hairline looks. Oh, there's like, more. Oh, These are the other page. Folks. This is page two, everybody. This is what happens when I write this shit down. Hogan's hairline looks like what happened when light uh, can't escape a black hole. <laughs> It's like the event horizon. Just shit's getting bent. Um, You guys ever see the first Harry Potter film? Yes. You know how there's uh, how Voldemort is hanging out on the back of Professor Quirrell's head? Yes. Um, If Voldemort's head wanted to dress like Santa Claus, he'd use Hogan's hairline for a beard. (laughs) Um, Hogan's hairline is the least racist thing on Hulk Hogan because it spent years running away from his mouth. (laughs) Um. Hogan's hairline looks like the curtains hiding a gnome talent show going on in the back of his head. <laughs> on the back of his neck nipples. <laughs> like if they just pull the curtains, there's a whole fucking thing going on. I got on. it! That's I got best, it! Yeah. That's the best one so far. <laughs> Sorry. There's a visual to that. <laughs> oh, um, you know what? I'm just going to let it go with that one. Yeah, that's, good. I think good. that's, I think that's a good place. 
I got two more Hogan puns as Luger comes back in the ring later on. It can only go down from here. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like that was pretty. That was pretty pretty solid. so uh, it does not biologically make sense. Listen, the best is when he slicks back nothing. I know he just yeah. Like what are you, you're you're a scalp. What are you what are you moving back there, buddy? There's, you ain't got shit back there. Yeah, yeah. That's just what he does. He does it well. So that's my that's your hot take. That was my hot that's take. A very hot Listen, take. I had more fun doing that than actually watching that match. <laughs> that is uh, yeah. It wasn't great. Well no, played. It wasn't. Uh, very funny. Thank you. Uh, I appreciate it, and so does uh, Hulk Hogan. He yes. does. Yes. He knows what he, he loves did. It. He knows exactly what he did. Like I don't know how old Hulk Hogan is. He could be twenty three, or he could be like fifty three, and his hairline does not give <laughs> any of it away. It's still the same. It is. It. Ha- I mean, yeah. At this point, I'm of the thought that it's an implant. Oh, it has to be. At this point, it has to. But be. But like, from what part? Do, like, where did they get that from? Like, when people do typically, like, like transplants or stuff, they'll take it for, like, some other part of his head or his body or something. But, like, where does that come from? Hmm. Could you imagine him trying to pull that back in a ponytail? And it just, like, peeling off, like, Velcro? I would assume it is Velcro. Yeah. Because he always wears the fucking bandana. It just holds it in place. Yeah. I feel like him and Shawn Michaels are the same uh, dermatologists. That's why I think Hogan does that ear thing at the end of the match. Is because he's really secretly trying to make sure the Velcro is still holding on <laughs> on the sides, so that his oh. cape of hair hasn't fallen off. So the match isn't particularly very good, but There's the crowd is hot. The crowd yeah. is very into it because it's a big deal, obviously. Yeah, it's Hogan. It's really unfortunate that it was Bubba Rogers and not anybody else. Literally it was, anybody why else. Why couldn't they just put Big Boss Man in there? Did you, oh, did you catch Bobby Heenan <laughs> yeah. make that reference about him? I think he was once a, yeah. a, 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 a prison guard. I'm like, yeah. you mother. <laughs> you, I see what you're yeah, doing. Yeah, yeah, there, there, there are a couple references I in there. I love You know, shit's on live TV. He can say it. Yeah. I love the yeah. little digs that they were kind of just gently... Yeah, they, they took a few shots. Gently building in there. Yeah. Um, I did write... I wrote... I wrote one note for this match, <laughs> uh, and I already said it. Um, but the match itself was—it it literally was what it was. It was way too long. But as as disappointing as the match was, the following angle was far more interesting. Yeah, far I, I, more interesting. the whole setup was for Luger to come back out, for Sting and Savage to come out, and the the build up for you know Luger had wrestled the night before. At a WWF event. Mm. It was a house event. It was him and Shawn Michaels versus Owen Hart and Yokozuna. Um, but that was his last contractual match at WWF. So he officially signed with WCW, set up the championship match for the following week. And then the uh, the rest of the Dungeon of Doom came out. So real quick, I, interesting, uh, real quick. Uh, so with Luger, I know we like to shit on Luger a lot. Uh, understandably. Uh, but what I appreciate about Lex Luger, and this is all according to Eric Bischoff, uh, when Luger came to the, back from the WWF back to WCW, Bischoff didn't want him at all. Zero interest in him. Because Luger had developed a reputation um, from back in his days in WCW originally of being difficult to work with, being a prima donna, being very cocky, being very arrogant, not being very good. Because he wasn't very good, even then. Like, you know, late 80s, very early 90s, Luger was not particularly amazing in the ring. 
Um, he went to WWF. They put the rocket ship behind him. Didn't work. And he came back to WCW. And Sting had brokered this deal between Bischoff and Luger. Bischoff, again, didn't want him. And in Bischoff's words, he says, well, you know, I just didn't feel like he was worth the money, worth the trouble in the locker room more than anything else. And Luger's like, listen, I will, I, I'm a different person now. Like, I, I work hard, blah, blah, blah. And Bischoff lowballed him, his own words, hard. And Luger still took it because he's like, it doesn't matter. He's, and Bischoff said, prove yourself to me in the locker room, especially. We'll talk about bumping that up. Yeah, I don't know how much this was, but it had to been low because he's like, I low balled him, like very low. And Luger, with a smile on his face, said, "I'll take it," and proved his ass. Worked hard. Was not a detriment to the locker room whatsoever. So you know, devil is due. You know, Luger, as difficult as he had been in the past, had earned his respect from his peers over time. But I find it interesting, like. He comes in with so much pomp and circumstance, but in yes. reality, Bischoff had no interest in having him on the show whatsoever. Mm-hmm. But that's how it works sometimes. And and then what? A, a year and a half later, he's world heavyweight champion, beating Hogan on Nitro, Hollywood yeah. Hogan. Yeah. Which, by the way, a year from now, only a year from now, it's a very different landscape. The NWO was hot by yeah, September of ninety five, ninety six. It's a very different wrestling world by September of 96. Uh, we got the Outsiders. We got Hollywood. We got... Crowsting hasn't happened yet, but it's coming. It's coming. Um, it's amazing how much it can change in 12 months. Yeah. Less than, really. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it really took them six months of Nitro to get enough traction to start winning the Monday Night Wars. and 83 weeks of it. 83 weeks. 83 consecutive weeks. That's a lot of weeks that's to beat Vince McMahon's sev- ass. That is several weeks. That's several weeks. That's more than one. Um, I thought they missed an opportunity when Luger came back. He should have had shopping bags. <laughs> I really did. I'm like, if I'm booking this, he's got four. He's got two bags on each side. They're full of clothes. I actually would have been that's, that's, what he, that's what he was doing while he was gone. You know? He's just like, oh, there's a wrestling show tonight? He was, he was there for 30 seconds. He walked away. He came back. Do some shopping. So for the angle itself, uh, so uh, Luger randomly just, you know, he gets in the ring and Hogan's in the ring and they're getting in each other's faces and they're making weird veiled references to the WWF. I know where you've been, brother. And I, you know where I've been. You know, that thing where he does, where he points at everybody. Yeah. Um, I thought it was kind of cool. You know, like, 1995 me would have eaten that up, of course. I'm sure I did. Um... But it felt weird having Sting and Savage kind of just hanging out there, doing nothing but going, "Hey, hey, hey, hey brother, you know, don't, yeah. don't, don't, you know." Yeah, it calm was down. Like, let's be yeah, Savage was trying to calm down Hogan, and Sting was trying to calm down Luger. Yeah, the very sidekick, just roles. justifying the paychecks. But yeah. the, the best is how I thought it was so, a little off-putting, how aggressive Hogan was, like because Luger shows up. It's not like Luger was being overly like aggressive towards Hogan, but Hogan was very he defensive. Was, yeah, he real fast. On the defense and I get it, he's heavyweight champion, he's gotta be defensive. But it was very out of character. But this is also the period where Hogan starts creeping into the dark side of Hulk Hogan, which eventually we're gonna cover the dark side of Hulk Hogan, where he fucking has a fucking big ass fucking claymore in his promo when he's dressed all in black, it's fucking stupid. One day we're gonna cover that. Uh, but I thought to end the show that way was a really good idea because again, yes, yeah. people talking, yeah. anything can happen. Yeah, it's it's at the stage of 
this is what can happen in a live event. And uh, it's funny, like we talked about earlier, I'm like, oh man, I watched the show, and I'm like, oh, that was pretty cool. I'm like, all right. I'm like, what was on Raw? Oh, nothing. So, <laughs> yeah. nothing at all, because it was no Raw. So, did you guys notice during the stare down that Hogan had mullet envy at Luger? I can't, no. I can't say that no. I did. I really feel like when Luger was peering, was like peering back at Hogan, that he was like the ghost of Christmas future looking back on himself and saying, this is your future. <sighs> Possibly. Possibly, yeah. Not just me? All right, it might have been you. Yeah, might watch it again. Been. Go back and watch I won't. it again. It's in the I, I have no interest in. I also thought it was that. funny when Luger just said "WW" like he was talking about the belt. Like I almost thought he kind of forgot where he was for a second, <laughs> and he was just trying to not enunciate the other letter. <laughs> w. Yeah, that's what I meant to say, brother. Yeah. Like that's live. You can't. You can't mess that up. Now, interestingly enough, Hulk Hogan is known for swinging his creative control around so to speak you know is stroking his, his, Mu, his Fu Manchu and saying that don't work for me brother stroking? uh so there's like all this talk about all oh, inserting uh Luger into like the, the heavyweight title picture lasts all of a week because they have a scheduled match the following Nitro and then that's that man Hogan puts the kibosh on that real fucking fast because it's Hulk Hogan and he has to be the main event no matter yep. what it's unfortunate well, Luger joins them at War Games against Dungeon of Doom. Eventually joins Dungeon of Doom. Though. Oh, no, this is after... Wait. Fuck. Uh, D- War Games is in September. Or is it November? It's in September, September. I believe. Yeah. So by, but by October the following month, he joins Dungeon of Doom and turns on Sting and Hogan. So I went... So I was kind of curious. I don't know if you guys did this. So like after the show... I start like flicking through the other episodes, like what the descriptions were, the following set, like maybe 10, 12 episodes. It's a lot of the same three matches. Yeah. It's like Luger versus. That's the formula. Yeah. It was like, no, well, I guess. Just rotating guys sense. in and out. I guess. Yeah. I wish there was a Raw to compare it to. I really wish there was. It'd have been some occupation gimmick. You know, it would have been Duke the Dumpster Drosy versus Bret Hart or something. <laughs> it would have been something like that. It would have been like the Goon versus Shawn Michaels at yeah. this main event. Yeah, because on the flip side, in the WWF world, Diesel was champion until Bret won it at Survivor Series. Yeah. Great match. Yeah. Um. So before all this, like before we got back to that segment to close out the show, right? After the match and everything, Luger's out and everything. Did you guys catch the the commercial that they had about um, you know WCW battling muscular dystrophy? Yes. Yeah, they're the sponsor for yeah war games. Did you guys watch that commercial again? Like I had to watch it a couple no. times because no. I legit, once was enough for me. Listen, I legit laughed out loud when I saw that because as the commercial Savages promo. No, as the as as the commercial like started. They kept talking about oh, the battle against muscular dystrophy rages on, and all they're showing are WCW superstars. And I'm just like, what? Do they all have muscular dystrophy? Because <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah, where I didn't, I, I didn't read it as that. That's how but... I. That, that's I. That's how I, I. I legit laughed out loud, like I was watching like a fucking joke told at a stand-up show. Because WCW. I'm like, that was not that you did not really frame that the right way. They guys. never got their shit together with that sort of no, thing. Never no. really. That's did. why they didn't last. Yeah. That's unfortunate, but yeah, I, watching Savage, uh, I love the old 90s, like, editing, where, like, the editing, like, the, the, the cutoff point is always just way too early, like, helping my friend, 
Like it's just sort of like, <laughs> <laughs> like it's like come on, God damn it! They cut him off because they don't know what the fuck he's gonna say. It's all God. the cocaine. Yeah, uh, but uh, I think ultimately uh, is an incredibly important show, obviously for the history of professional wrestling, and yep. it started. It was the first real gunshot, the first volley of 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 of, of uh, artillery in the Monday Night Roar. Uh, the show was okay. For 1995 standards, not bad at all. Big names, yeah. Big angles, introducing new it characters. It had the draw for sure. It, it did definitely did. Um, it definitely had the mall crowd. Oh, they were fucking fired up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I again, it's one of those shows I will never watch this again, and I'm okay with that. I can live without ever watching uh, the first Nitro, uh, but eventually we'll watch the last Nitro. I mm. think is a good idea eventually. And we will compare notes on how bad they both were. Yep. Um, <laughs> Some things never change. That's right. Yeah. WCW will WCW all over the place. I mean, there's a reason the WCW. Did. Yeah, they're consistent. Yeah. yeah. Consistency is everything. Yeah. It's important. But with that being said, uh, any closing thoughts on this show? No, like I said, I, I think it's important that WCW Nitro has a very important place in the overall timeline of professional wrestling because it set the stage for not just the rivalry, but the Monday night wars and, and what was to come before they all, you know, reformed under the WWE banner. But, uh, it was a fun time to be a wrestling fan without a doubt. Cause you know, I remember as a teenager bouncing back and forth between the two channels on Monday nights to see what was going on on both sides. Uh, and, and this is what started all of that. Yeah, 100%. Coke needs Pepsi. Nike needs Reebok. WWF needed WCW, right? Competition breeds ingenuity, creativity, you know, originality. They force each other to raise inv- the bar. Invention. Yeah. Uh, and think about the leap that we were able to get in wrestling over those couple of years because... WCW was winning the ratings war. I mean, we don't get an Attitude Era without this first show. You know, we we don't get some... We don't even get wrestling the way it is today. Because if if Vince is still... If if you don't have the Rey Mysterios coming in and Chris Jericho's and some of these, you know, quote-unquote smaller guys, in fact, still bigger than us, um, you don't get guys like CM Punk. You don't get... um, Seth Rollins, I don't think, right? I think those guys just get overlooked because they're just, they don't have the right look. They're not the right guy. Right. And um, we've had a lot of great wrestling because of that. Also, without competition, we've had some shit wrestling too. We had John Cena versus Randy Orton for it seems like a decade. Yeah. Um, But, you know, um, it was great just being able to look back on it. I've, I, I've never watched, obviously, I never watched the first episode of Nitro before. Um, so it was, uh, was kind of great just seeing the genesis. How different things were. Speaking of Genesis Jones, would you fuck the Sega channel if? If what? No, I just wanted you, to, you didn't think this. Did not think it. Oh no, no, I just wanted to. I just wanted to Stop just tie cut. it back because we haven't talked about the Sega oh, channel in a while. Reason for that, uh, yeah. and the the answer is there is no, there is no amount of. Uh, See, no, this is why I need you here. Because like yeah, I could have, I all I had to do was, would you fuck the Sega Channel if, and you could have just took that off. That's basically lighting the match under Noah and just letting him just 
just go in and just let the, let that rocket launch. There's no amount of Mongo Chihuahua or uh, it's the Devil's Chihuahua or opening Lucha Libre style matches. There's no amount of horrible WCW editing. There's no amount of subpar main events from Hulk Hogan that would ever convince me on any level, both emotionally, uh, mentally, uh, physically, molecularly, if I must, to ever do anything like that with the Sega channel. What if it was just over-the-pants stuff? First of all, I graduated fucking high school. You don't dry hump when you're an adult. I'm just saying. Sounds pretty, you know, innocent to me. No. All right, there you have it, folks. Yeah, anyways, there's our hot take on yeah. the Sega channel history. <laughs> and WCW... Uh, Monday Nitro. We appreciate everybody tuning in. Yes. Uh, We look forward to sharing some more shit about some more topics. Once we figure out what we're doing. Once we figure out what that's going to be. It's weird. It's like every other week we know what we're talking about, and then every other week (laughs) we we don't. We have no idea. It's weird how that works. Consistency. What would you say? It is. It is. It's all about consistency. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. So we hope you tune in then, and uh, we appreciate you tuning in now. And we will see you all next week. Nothing good.